Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome, everybody, to the House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky. With me, as always, is the maestro of mail-order mysteries and owner of House of the Unusual, Eddie Guevara. And like to welcome back, once again, fan favorite and my favorite magician, Chuck Caputo. Chuck, what's up, brother? Hey, how's everybody doing? Pretty good. Uh, not too much, uh, Joe. It's uh, nice weather out here in Pittsburgh. It's a beautiful evening. I just came in. I was doing some yard work all day outside, trying to rake up some leaves and everything. Awesome, awesome. Eddie, what's what's going on on the East Coast over there? Well, a lot. A lot has been happening here. It's uh, The weather's been really nice for the last couple of days, and uh, I I have a couple. I've been anxious to uh, get to this show today because I wanted to discuss uh, one particular item with, uh, not item, but uh, a magic trick that was done a while back, and uh, I guess... You were we were talking, Joe, that the topic tonight will be most the most memorable moments that we've had either in entertaining people like Chuck uh, when he did magic shows or us attending um, conventions and stuff. Um, and I like to begin the topic, if that's OK with you guys. Sure. Absolutely. Go ahead. All right. The most memorable moment that I had was uh, a couple of years ago, I attended a chiller theater that that particular time had more actors than any of the other shows combined. I mean, they had uh, everybody from um, the $6 million woman, which I was surprised how young she still looks, uh, Lindsay Wagner. They had, uh, oh gosh, um, I Richard Dreyfuss was there, Tia Carrera. She's the one that played with the uh, Terminator. They had the the girl from the Terminator, the woman and the the kid and, and the guy who played the father was there. Uh, they also had um, the guy who played the stunt double for, uh, for uh, Lou. Uh, what's this guy's name? Uh, oh my God. I can't remember his name. The Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And they had, uh, it was really interesting because I had this poster uh, that my friend actually had and it's a, uh, 40 by 60 inches and it was very different it shows the terminator one part human one part is just his big face but one part is machine one part is human and we had the thing signed by every single actor except for arnold (laughs) Uh. but uh what was so memorable about that is that uh morgan fairchild was there as well uh police woman from the original police series on tv uh lee majors uh, they had that same night, they had um, from um, the Adams family, they had uh, uh, Wednesday Adam, you know, act, actually the original actress. They wow. had people from the Brady Bunch there, the original Brady Bunch. They had the cast from uh, Happy Days. They had, uh, I mean, it was amazing. I think there was like 60 people. And I'm trying to remember all the stars, but they had all the big stars there. The only people that were not there I was uh, William Shackner and uh, Leonard Nimoy weren't there or the original Batman and Robin, which, yes, they appear later on, but they weren't there that one day. But that one day, what made it really memorable was the fact that so many stars had come together and you were like, you didn't know whose autograph to get because there were so many there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, um, Chuck, what I wanted to ask you 
and, and it's been in my mind for a couple of weeks now. And I keep saying, I'm going to ask you. And sometimes I forget when I speak with you. Okay. Is, I think it was Thurston back in the 1940s uh, and 30s, 30s and 40s when uh, magicians uh, would perform and um, they were out there all the time, you know, doing. Uh, I think most of their shows had to do something with horror magic, uh, mm-hmm. like either mm-hmm. spook shows or right. some, t- yeah, some type of horror magic. And and that's one thing that, again, I don't know if Joe's aware of it, but we spoke in the previous show where magic was mostly, especially in the 1800s, were based on a lot of spiritualism stuff. And so they basically, it was horror, you know, some type of scary stunt or magic trick. Now, I remember, I think it was Thurston, if I'm correct in saying this, he had one poster that he starts floating a lady in the air but what makes it unique is that the lady then leaves the stage and fl- flies all over the audience, on top of the audience. Are you aware of the one I'm talking about, Chuck? You know what? Yeah, I, I believe I did see the uh, the posters for that. I'm not familiar with the actual effect itself. Now that may okay. have, yeah, now that, that that may have just been a publicity type of thing. Because as far as I remember, I don't remember him doing anything like that. Now, I could be wrong. That's what I wanted to ask you because I had asked Dave. And he was going was about to explain it to me, and then I actually had to hang up because I had to do something. Mm-hmm. But um, he did say that he did perform it. Okay. Now, I'm I'm wondering now when you said publicity, because then again, people did exaggerate in the publicity back then. Exactly. But I was, and, and let me tell you what the why I think that they somehow might have pulled off something like that. Of course, they could have used. Of course, they would be using wires. Not could they could have, but. Sure. Here is the, the, the thing that happened to me. About, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, the church I attend, we had a special where they rented a bus, they chartered a bus, and we traveled all the way down to uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania. And uh, I went to this theater, which was phenomenal. It's kind of like a biblical theater. They do a lot of the Jonah and the Whale and different shows like that. But this theater was as big as Giant Stadium. It was huge. Wow. And I remember sitting in the audience and they were doing Jonah and the whale. And what I found fascinating was the fact that the whale, a huge whale, was flying over the audience. It started in the stage (laughs) and it literally went like around four or five feet above me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Now, it seemed it was like some type of, of misty or... The material was very light, transparent even, but it went all over the stage and then it went through the audience. It went above my head and I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, this has got to be the best show I've ever That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Eddie, what you got to remember with with today's technology, what they could do, you know, with the holograms and things of that nature. you know what? My wife and I, we went downtown Pittsburgh, I guess, about two years ago to see the Phantom of the Opera. Now, now back when we got married in 1992, we also saw the Phantom of the Opera. And there was a huge difference in it. I mean, it was so much better. It was just unbelievable. It was like a whole uh, show on the stage. Uh, there was a lot of mechanical props. I mean, everything was just so much better. It was all computer operated. Uh, the uh, technology, uh, the uh, technology they used was absolutely amazing. So yeah, so the stuff they can do nowadays compared to even you know from 1992 when we got married, I mean it was leaps and bounds. It was just amazing. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing with the whale. 
I, I thought it had been hollow. No, it's it was definitely a material. When I mean material, like a cloth of some type, maybe like cheesecloth, but it really flew over me. Wow. Like literally, I'm like, are you, you know, it, it was kind of funny because one of the kids got up in the chair and kind of tapped it. <laughs> so it was really, it was really literally flying over me. And I'm like, that is amazing. Wow, that How is amazing. But anyway, that's what I was thinking when I, I, um, I saw that poster. Yeah. Thurston. Uh, it just, you know, I just wondered and I said, because that is such a unique stunt. If you can pull something like that, oh, yeah, it, yeah. it just changes the show to di- from day to night. Now, um, I guess I do know that I've read that a lot of the spook shows of the 1950s, a lot of the spook shows, what they would do is they would um, incorporate ghosts at the end of the show or the beginning of the show that would fly all over the stage. Right and go out, go out into like over the audience and stuff. In fact, I think there were some spook shows that they would put or they would put gadgets in the seat so that when people uh, sat down, uh, like cold rice or something would touch them. You know, I forgot what the you know different right. stunts, but I know they used to have. And that was, I mean, could you imagine doing a show like that today? No, that would be. Cool. I really think that. Yeah, if somebody did a spook show today, I think Joe would be in the front seat. <laughs> oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, you were, you know, Chuck, you were talking about Phantom of the Opera, and I seen it back in. I think the first time I seen it was in in Toronto. Um, oh gosh, had it been maybe around nine, probably about ninety two or ninety three, right. and I right. was, you know, I was blown away by the. Um, you know, that was kind of like my first experience in like an actual, you know, professional theater setting. Right. And I, I was blown away by the effects. And then we, my wife and I actually went to Cleveland and seen it um, in 2019. And it was completely different. Was. You know, a lot of it was completely different, the sets and everything. But yeah, just how far that they've come just on the, the theater aspect. And Oh, my goodness. You know, oh I mean, it, it, it's crazy. But you know, if you, you look back to like the 1800s, you know, and, and early 1900s when they were still doing theater like Dracula and everything. And some of the the special effects that they had at that time were, mm-hmm. were I mean, for that time were, were, you know, just amazing as well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, they were, you know, they were still captivating audiences. And, and I'm sure that they still use a lot of those tricks now. And, you know, I, I, I was I was reading this this book. I'm still reading it. It's by uh, David Skull. It's on, it's called. um. Uh, Hollywood Gothic. It's on the um, the vamp, the history of the vampire in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and they are talking about the um, the old theater plays with you know the vampire, you know, or, you know the vampire story, you know, kind of like loosely based off of Bram Stoker's work. <laughs> but I, I was just kind of putting myself, you know, in the theater, you know, in like the eighteen hundreds on where you know everything's dimly lit by candles, oh, and yeah. you know it's it's just that natural darkness in there and you know the the smoke and you know just how cool it would be the, oh. the smell of the oh. the wood and the candle smoke and you know i i really wish there'd be something like that you know going on uh, today i i doubt with the uh you know all the fire regulations you could have it lit by candles yeah. but right you know it, it would still be cool you know just to you know and i was kind of putting myself back in that that theater setting and imagine i was i was sitting there watching you know, Dracula, how they would, they would make him, you know, rise from the coffin and, 
you know, they would do their special effects and everything. And, oh, absolutely. You know, that, yeah. that, that, that would be something really cool. But I'm sure a lot of that they they use now or maybe like, you know, kind of tweaked, updated uh, versions. Now, I know you do, you know, in your magic shows, you do a lot of different stuff now. Is there still stuff that you use that's maybe like tweaked or, or you know, improved upon that, you know, might go back a hundred years or so. Oh yeah, I think in the our, my very first podcast with you guys, I I uh, had mentioned to you that I use a blue room type of an effect, but this is built into a box, like a pretty big box. So um, yeah, you know what? Instead of manually turning the, uh, basically, it's a box that's uh, divided by a uh, a uh, length of glass, and if there's and if there's uh, lights in front of it and behind it, uh, like the front part would dim. And then uh, the lights behind the uh, glass would go bright, so it would make an object vanish or reappear. Now, back in the old days, days these would these would have to be manually cranked. Okay, mine's you just flip a switch and it's chain driven, so it's you know you plug it in, it's AC powered, but it works by itself now. So yeah, it did it did change to like it's a things are motorized now. But uh, Eddie mm-hmm. Eddie did bring up a good point. Yes, there was always a horror element to all the magic shows all the way back as as uh, far as you can read, basically, there was always some type of a, a spirit cabinet or a, a seance uh, demonstration, you know, which was very captivating to different audiences. You know, it was very unique. Uh, when Dave was on last week, we uh, brought up uh, Robert Houdin, which uh, he's billed as the uh, father of modern magic. He was a French magician, and he's the guy that started all of the stage magic. Okay, he brought everything in into a nice French parlor. And he was the first to wear like a tuxedo and so forth. And so he had a classy act. Okay. But he also did a lot of unique props. Uh, and the one was the blue room, but he did it with the whole stage. He'd have a sheet of glass that would, that would encompass the whole stage. Oh, wow. It'd make things float, you know, things vanish and so forth. Uh, he was a brilliant, brilliant man. As a matter of fact, Harry Houdini took his name, you know, Eric Weiss is Houdini's name. And uh, he took on the persona of Houdini. So he put, an eye on the end of Houdin, and that's how he came up with the great Houdini, you know. But if you do search out Robert Houdin, he's built, he's known as the father of modern magic, and he was absolutely amazing. Actually, I was going to say, bring, let me bring up something about the subject of uh, Roberto Houdin. Um, I don't, I don't, we didn't mention the last time you and Dave were talking. I, I think I read a story. Not, I think, I know it's a fact that I read a story that Houdini was so impressed with him. Yes, he was. That actually he took the name like he did. Mm-hmm. And then one time when his widow was up in, in somewhere in New Jersey, mm-hmm. she was visiting, he wanted to you know, meet her and she wouldn't meet him. And and because of that, he got so upset. Exactly. Which I, I read a couple of stories with Houdini where if he didn't get it his way, he was a spoiled brat. Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's exactly. If he didn't get it, you know. You, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, that's exactly what I've read. Also, now you know it's you know it's still open open to debate, but that is one of the theories. That's what um, that's what kind of PO'd uh, Houdini off, and that's why he did write the book in 1908. Uh, you know the the unmasking of Robert Houdin. He turned against him, so his his childhood idol. He actually turned against him, and so you know uh, Robert Houdin was an expert watchmaker. So there was a lot of things he used in this show. There were uh, you know, clockwork type of things, uh, you know, things of that nature. So what Houdini claimed was that he didn't build these. Uh, he claimed that a Dutch uh, mechanician named uh, Opre 
had had uh, built these things that the Rivera Dam paid them. But there's no but there's no proof to this whatsoever. I mean, it just seems there, like there's not. But but it makes sense. It makes sense when you hear about it. The way Houdini really was, right? How spoiled he was if he didn't get his way, right? I could see that being because why would he from his idol turn it against exactly? Yeah. You know, unless something happened that pissed him off about it. <laughs> like they say, never never meet your idols. <laughs> no, and the thing you got to remember, Houdin was dead by the time Houdini was already acting, I think. Exactly. So it, it had to have been something that he seen Houdin, he fell in love with the name, he put the name to himself. Right. This guy's his idol. And then all of a sudden, he gets peed off and he starts writing books to discredit the guy exactly the only thing i could see about that is they the thing with the tale that is told that the wife was in jersey he tried to meet her because this is written as fact in several books right. and that's what caused him to you know but you know what it's like you were saying who and all these people and anytime you see any magician poster from that era from blackstone it's always with an aura of horror behind right. it it's never a magician doing cup and balls or no. a wizard or something like that. There's always horror. Oh, exactly. Even when you have a wizard that will tell the future, the wizard is like controlling you and your body. And I think that was seen the most in the 1970s where there was a, a revamp, not a revamp, but there was kind of like a movement mm -hmm. into hypnotism, which I fell a lot into that as a kid. I loved the him, and my thing that turned me was the comic book ad from American Circle Court mm -hmm. of the guy hypnotizing the woman. That to me was like the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> and ever since I saw that ad, to me, a magician or a hypnotist had to have a goatee and had to have a, a big mustache. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, you know, with the <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're, you're you're exactly right. I tell you, the only reason I keep a beard, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I just don't feel like shaving anymore. I just Grow a beard now. I just have to trim it a little bit, and I'm done. I've had a beard now for about ten years, and you know, I used to shave. You know, me, I, I used to shave twice a day. It was ridiculous. <laughs> you know, me and a, a buddy of mine, we we usually meet once a week to watch the old uh, serials from you know 30s and 40s and and whatnot. But we always say the guy with the, we always say the guy with the pencil thin mustache is always the the bad guy, and it always <laughs> usually turns out to be. <laughs> That's true. Well. They even do it in cartoons, but you know one of the best parts too that's really funny. And I, I noticed this later in life. When you see the house on Haunted Hill by Vincent Price, mm -hmm. and when you see Vincent Price, actually Vincent Price makes an appearance one time in the show F Troop. You know, the funny comedy show oh. the Western. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Okay. Wow. Oh, yeah, he made an appearance there that he's kind of like a vampire kind of guy, and Corporal Egon is super scary. It's hilarious. You can actually I, I would say look it up on I'll, YouTube. You I'll check that out. Wow. But Vincent Price was, it's got to be the perfect individual for when it comes to have facial features. Oh, yeah. That are perfect for that of a hypnotist, an evil person, or the guy, like you said, with the pencil, <laughs> pencil mustache. Because every cartoon from Dick Dasterly. And, <laughs> That's uh, true. You know, they always paint him with the, you know, they paint the bad guy with the very thin mustache curly in both sides, you know? That is, that is true. I'll tell you, Vincent Price scared the heck out of me when I was when I was a kid. Wow. He was something else. I I had a situation when you're saying, you know, that which is kind of funny. Now, we'll, we'll bring up this topic. 
as a kid at the age between, I would say seven or eight. Okay. So that's the age when you start realizing things and, and, you know, you get petrified. Um, I watched David and Costello, you know, uh, hold that ghost. I I would, and let's see all kids want to go into the world of the scary stuff. (laughs) They want to go into, but at the same time, they really don't want to be there. You know what I mean? So, when I would go to bed, I had my own room, you know, and, and now where, when I lived in Manhattan, we had one of those uh, apartments that you had the, the two bedrooms in one side, and then it's like a long hallway, and you got the other bedroom on the other side. So the faraway bedroom was my uh, my grandparents. The one closest to, to me was my mom's bedroom. I was right in the middle, and of course, I got to be the lonely guy in the middle of the hallway with no door that I can shut because there was no door going into my bedroom. I mean, we're talking about old New York City apartments go back from the 1900s. <laughs> so some, my my apartment, I remember, had a dumb waiter in the kitchen wow. that had been sealed. <laughs> and it was sealed with paint. And I mean, I tried it one, a couple of times like I wanted to open it. But, uh, you know, now I'm glad I didn't because who knows how much asbestos was in there. But <laughs> the thing that was funny about it, though, is that when I saw that, that movie, Don't Be Afraid of mm-hmm. the Dark, the original 1970s mm-hmm. one, it reminded me of my apartment because <clears throat> my apartment had the dumb waiter in the kitchen and it was sealed shut. You couldn't open it. It had a steel bar wow. across it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, the thing that was really interesting about the dumb waiter and stuff, it, it, it you know, reminded me of the movie when the lady goes into the basement and then in the basement, uh, the, the groundskeeper tells her, do not, no matter what you do, do not open the chimney. There was like a steel plate over the chimney opening and she wanted to, you know, to use the chimney and she wanted, and that's where the monsters were. But the thing that was funny about it is that I was so terrified of Dracula and the one that scared me the most was Bella Lugosi, man. Oh, killed yeah. me. When I saw Evan and Costello, I was so scared of Frankenstein and <laughs> Dracula. And I'm telling you this, this is funny. My mom, since I couldn't go to sleep, they moved me over to the living room. And if you remember, uh, Chuck, I'm sure you remember this back in the days, especially if you grew, I don't know if you grew up in Pennsylvania or in this area, but most apartments, especially in New York, what they would do is they would get a big curtain that would slide across the entire <laughs> room or the living room and they would make an yeah, extra oh, yeah. room there. So they, you know, they, they divided the living room with a curtain and made a bedroom for me. And I'm talking about like as soon as I opened the curtain, it was my my grandparents' uh. bedroom right there. It was smack in front of it. So I had in order. This is all that would happen to me if my mom was watching a soap opera or my grandfather was watching WWF, which at that time World Wrestling mm-hmm. Federation was played on Channel 12 in my area, which was uh, the Spanish Channel. They didn't play it in the American Channel. And my grandfather and me, I always used to love playing that. But if 12 o'clock came on, I don't know if it was 12. I I think it was 10 o'clock. And Chiller Theater would come on. That would be okay. But there was another theater that I I think was called the Midnight. Oh, my gosh. I can't remember. Chuck, you might remember this. It would come on and they would show lightning and thunder. And the first thing that would pop on the television screen was Frankenstein. Hmm. The face of Frankenstein, you know, Boris Carlow. And it had like the thunder behind it, like, and it was, and we're talking about when all the televisions are Mm -hmm. black and white. So it has more scary appeal to it, right? So 
I'm I'm thinking I don't remember if it was twelve because I know my my mom always used to put me to bed like around mm-hmm. ten or so, but uh, I think it was like the the thing would be over at ten or, you know what it was called? It was called the late night theater mm-hmm. or something like that. Or oh my gosh, what was it called? I can't remember. It, it's amazing because this was always I mean anybody who grew up in the New York City area would know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. But um, if I saw that Frankenstein come on. That was that was it. <laughs> Couldn't sleep that night. So my grandmother or my grandfather would take turns, and they would open a folding chair and sit right next to my bed until I fell asleep. So now I was so scared that, I mean, I'm talking about. I thought that these monsters were real, <laughs> man. Like I was oh, terrified, sure. and I would look, and if I saw that they would get up and leave, I, I couldn't sleep. So I remember that I used to cover my head and just leave my nose outside of the <laughs> blanket in order to eat, to, to sleep. And the nights of terror. Now, I laugh at it today. But oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Hey, you guys, you guys mentioned before. old older movies. You know what? I, I'm i pretty uh-huh. much into the sideshow type of stuff, too. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I've always been drawn to, like, uh, you know, oddities and exhibits and things of that nature. You know what? I watched watch the movie Freaks every, every I, I have the DVD I pop it in about twice twice a year and watch it. Boy, that's a classic. That was uh, 1932, Todd Browning, and it, that was a very controversial movie. You know, uh, at that time there was a lot of uh, theaters that didn't even want to carry it, so they had to cut maybe 45 minutes of the movie. So that's why it's such a short movie. It's slightly over one hour, I believe, maybe a minute over one hour long. But that's an excellent, excellent movie. And a, a Schlitzie's on there. Uh, the a, a Cuckoo Bird Girl, who was known as Minnie Haha. I mean, it was just a fantastic movie. And uh, are you guys familiar, which I'm sure you probably are, of the, uh, of the movie? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with it. I, but, you know, I, I don't believe I've ever seen it uh, before. If, if I had maybe bits and pieces of it, but not the, the whole way through. Mm-hmm. I, I've been looking for a good... Um, a, a good dvd on it that has you know some good features you, you know just to learn a little bit about it because i know a lot did get cut out of it and i'm not sure if they ever if there was ever a release Save, what's that it? if they ever saved the no gun, no once once it hit the floor back then eddie that is gone it's it's a shame because it was close to an hour of the footage as a matter of fact from what i read they had to actually change the ending that that wasn't supposed to be the ending that's on there you know, you know that movie. I'm trying to think of that movie. I think I have that movie. Does it have like a killer clown face on the front? I don't. No, no. I know which one you're talking about, but no, it doesn't have. No, I don't believe so. Well, it... well let me tell you something, Chuck. I'm I'm surprised you never heard of the Meadowlands Fair in my area. It's it's held where the Giant Stadium is, but part of the Meadowlands Fair are That's those cool. sideshows. They've been doing that for like 38 years now, since wow. I, I can remember. Uh, I went there, but you know what? It's the the shows are fantastic. You go in, like say for example, I walk in front of the come see the girl, the couture, right, right. whatever that she's able to pull herself into whatever. So, you know, it was like two dollars to get in, and I'm like, ah, that's cheap. I paid the two dollars. My wife pays the two dollars, but of course, I'm paying the, the all the money, right? So, we walk in, my my daughter, my wife, and me. As soon as we walk in. 
in order to actually be able to go by where the girl supposedly in a box where she contours herself, you want to look at her. That's another dollar, right? So you, you, by the time I left there, I paid like 15 bucks and I go, what a scam. And then they had like the world's smallest pony. What it is is that they put a pony and they lowered by about a foot and a half from the ground. So when you look at the pony, it looks smaller Isn't than that it something? actually is. And, and, oh my, and the girl, you, you want to know something? It was like a wooden box. She, we're looking at her. She contours herself into the box, but then she disappeared. So then you walk over by the stage and you look down at where she sat. It's just, it was so stupid. I'm like, are you kidding me? But I yeah. still loved it. Oh, yeah. Some of the stuff was so corny. You know what I mean? How about the man eating chicken and the curtain opens and there's a guy sitting back there <laughs> eating chicken? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it was some really cool stuff. But yeah, but you know what? But I was always drawn to that type of stuff right here in Pittsburgh, guys. I don't know if you knew that or not, but Lobster Boy actually was uh, was born here. That was uh, his name was Grady Styles, And uh he was born with the, you know, with the uh, deformity where he, where his fingers were like kind of fused together. And that's why they called him Lobster Boy. And uh, you know what? He had a pretty tragic life. I think he I think he murdered his. Uh, how did that go? He he he, he murdered his daughter's uh, uh, fiance in about 1978. And they he was he was charged with third degree murder, but they did not. Put him, they did not put him in prison because they didn't know how to handle uh you know someone who who had this affliction so he was given like 15 years probation or something and then a few years later yeah then maybe a decade later he got murdered himself down in florida there was a there was some type of a family altercation but yeah but he was originally from pittsburgh uh what was it was the altercation about <laughs> i'm not sure but <laughs> you never know yeah oh my god yeah yeah that's yeah, those those freak shows. You, know, I, I always I always thought it's funny that they, you know, how big they were. You know, back in the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. But yet you couldn't put it on film for people to see. But you could go out, you, could go out, you know, to your local right. circus and, and see the freak show or whatnot. But you, you it, yeah, it, was sad. <laughs> it was sad the way they actually, you know, used to make money as poor people. But let me tell you something though: the side shows and freak shows, the best thing that really that I love when I go to that and I try to go to the, I mean, I go in the opening day because like all the rides are like uh, five bucks or something mm -hmm. like that. Because when you go on a regular day, you spend about a hundred dollars for like mm -hmm. two hours. So it's a super expensive, the, the fare, but what I like are the uh, mobile uh, haunted houses. Oh yeah. Those, those <laughs> oh, are yeah. cool. And, you know what I, they are cool. I, I remember our I remember our fair that it's called the Canfield Fair, which is is near where I'm at. But it, it man, it, it's changed over the years. But I remember it in the '80s, like Eddie was saying, they had all those those mobile uh, haunted houses or um oh what you know they weren't really some of them weren't really haunted houses. You'd have like the weird mirrors right. or the tunnels that would rotate. Oh, those were those you know, like were a, fun, cool. a, a fun fun house. house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they would have a bunch of those and. You know, you'd go see, you know, they were usually, it was, usually it was the freak show. And then the freak show was kind of surrounded by, mm -hmm. you know, the fun houses and the mobile haunted houses. So it was just a real cool area. Now, you know, you, you don't have any of those, you know, anymore. And it's just, it's mostly just all kind of packed with, you know, food and, and some rides, you know, your, your basic generic rides for kids. Right. But, you know, back in the eighties. That, that I remember it was, you know, you had a lot of those fun houses, the freak shows, 
the uh, mobile haunted houses and you had a lot more you know cooler rides and everything and you know now it, it's it's changed to mostly just well, food <laughs> so you you know what they used to have also in new york city that uh, i mean i i wonder if they had mpa but there was many a times they used to come not all the time but there would be like uh there were like big giant size pickup trucks or call like uh you know like a dumpster truck whatever but in the back it would be caged and it would have like this chairs that spin around and then you it was kind of like a, a ride so the person would come and you know kids would would get on those chairs and they would spin around and go around and you know like uh and they were super fast when mm-hmm. they turned the corner. Do you remember? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were cool. They would always come. Yeah, I haven't seen them in ages. But one thing I'm going to tell you, especially when we're talking about those mobile rights, like I've been honestly, when I had my house, I had thought because I had like a hundred and forty foot driveway, I had thought of purchasing one of those rights just to have it. Oh yeah, uh, so your your wife will <laughs> she'll be like, you know what, you can go live in it now. <laughs> No, well, the, you can take, your, you can is, take your big printer out there with it. <laughs> uh, right now, she would definitely do that. But you know what's so funny? Because I, I had considered it because the house that I had was right next to Kingsburg Amusement Park, which is one of the oldest amusement parks in the state or in the world, Whoa. actually. And um, Kingsburg was known back in the 1930s as a drinker's town. So people would go to Coney Island, take a ferry over to Kingsburg. And, you know, it, it was it's one of those amusement parks that, the rights are still like a hundred mm-hmm. years old. You go in there; it's a decent thing, and it had the last, uh, I guess you would call it the last haunted house that had those little uh, doom buggies, and it was the last working wow. haunted house in the That's entire cool. country. I used to love those haunted houses with the little doom buggy oh, things. Those are cool. Yeah, well, they, oh my god, they're the best. But this one was called the Spook House. You can Google it and, and you know see a whole history behind it, but. In 2004, I went over there and I asked who was the owner of the spook house because the park itself has been owned by family for years, right? So the one part of the family, whatever that owned, that went to them and the guy goes to me by the, the guy selling the tickets. He says, it's the guy over there in the ice cream truck, whatever. So I go to the ice cream part where they were selling ice cream. And I said to the guy, do you own the spook house? And he goes, uh, yes, I do. And I said, would you be willing to sell it? And he goes to me, um, you would have to talk to my daughter. It was his father who started it. Then he continued. Then he gave it to, you know, the granddaughter, which is his daughter. And I told the daughter and I said, listen, it, it's probably making out, what, 30 bucks a day at the most? How many people are really using it? You know, I said, would you be willing to take $20,000 for the thing? And then I even went as far as 25000 I said, I'll give it to you cash. Which I need. She refused it. She said, no, it pays my college. (laughs) Really? I really wanted it. But here's what happened. The thing that was good about Kingsburg is that I remember inquiring about the time if I wanted to like rent a a ride or bring a ride on. And the only thing they're charging a month was $450. Uh, Today, they went up to like $650. It's not that much more than back then. Uh, one guy actually did, built an entire walk-in uh, haunted house. You know, he put it together, built it, took it apart. Uh, the reason I don't think he survived is because there's a park that, you know, it, the prices are really decent. And when you start charging $8.50, $9 to get in on a ride, yeah. you know, well, it might be a little bit too high Absolutely. for the park, you know. But um, Now, do they still, are, are there festivals and all 
you know, around that still use those mobile haunted houses or fun houses? Yes, that, that that's what I'm saying. Every year, and it's coming, it usually comes like around July. Um, it's called the Meadowlands Fair. In fact, so they still use those there then? They have three of them there. Oh, usually. wow. That would be cool. Uh, what I think, in fact, in fact, if you go to eBay right now, somebody's selling one. Um, they're asking like $18,000 for one. The only problem with that is you need, you need a tractor trailer. trailer right. so it's not like, yeah, you know. But um, the thing with it, though, is I was going to say with the spook house, the story ended that Hurricane Katrina came by. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was contemplating still going down there in Kingsburg to see if they still have the sign that they right. had over the, you know, over the ride. Because I would love to actually own the sign at least, but I don't mm-hmm. know if it's still, they probably sold it or, or burned it down or whatever. But the point is, it was the last haunted house that still had the doom buggies. The doom buggies there were done in 1948, wow. I think. If you looked at the, because I have pictures of the actual doom bug, I got pictures of the whole thing inside. But I don't think there's much left there of the of the haunted house. I've been dying to go down there and drive. It's about mm-hmm. an hour from my house. I mean, an hour from where I live. Uh, I had a house only about 10 blocks away from there that I sold in 2003. I never lived in it, but I did own a house there. And, um, well, the whole thing is that the fact of having a spook thing like that, like, honestly, it has always been in back of my mind to even get a location because I thought, you know, when you go inside, I thought this was huge because, you know, the buggy turns to the right and the left and you think you're going through these tunnels and hallways. And one day the light went on, and lo and behold, it was the size of about maybe 30 feet deep by 20 <laughs> yeah. feet wide. All it was, it was like a, a snake. That's amazing. Room, you know? And and when the you know, when the doom buggy goes into the different corners, it will light up right. the attractions. Now, do you guys remember that story talking about fun houses? You guys remember the story of a fun house that had a, a corpse Whoa. in the wall? I think found, I think I do remember, do remember something that? about and, that. Yep. The cor- a corpse a, or a skeleton? No, it was a skeleton, but it was a natural skeleton mm-hmm. of a real person. Oh, real. <laughs> they don't know how it managed to get inside. The, uh, when did you, Chuck? What do you know of it? I mean, I haven't. Looked yeah, I think years. Uh, I, I think years I ago, I did. I did read something about that, and there was at a costume store too, somewhere. I think where there was a skeleton laying in a coffin in a costume store. And somebody got suspicious. I don't know, and they called the local police in to investigate. And it turned out to be a it turned out to be a human skeleton as well. So there, so yeah, there was a few times oh, things wow. like that did happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that was kind of you know one of the other biggest things going around talking about human skeleton stuff. One of the biggest problems, that, of course, they don't advertise in Walt Disney, but it's uh, a lot of people go to the haunted mansion and they sneak in their. Um, the remains of their loved ones, and then they, wow. they spread it inside. <laughs> oh, I got I tell you, I have to tell you a good haunted mansion story. When uh, when I first went down to to Disney World, we I was I was still in the army. This is about ninety nine or two thousand, and we uh we went with some. It was some type of I I, I don't know. It was something we got on bay off of uh off a of post and we got a special for the trip the hotel and bus ride and all that included. But we, uh, you know, being the, the young guys that we were, you know, we snuck a little bit of booze inside the park. Cause you know, they, at that time, you know, there was no checking bags or anything. So we walked around, you know, pretty much all day, you know, we were, we were, 
you know, sneaking booze from our, our backpack, you know, when we were, were in the bathroom or something. Why at night, you know, it, the park was kind of emptying out and we were wanting to go on the Haunted Mansion ride and there was no line. And, you know, we had a, we were a little bit buzzed up and everything. And, you know, we must have went on that ride probably 20 times. Because as soon as we got off of it, we went right right back in and the guy just let us go and he was laughing and we just kept riding it and cool. riding it was it was wow. so cool. Yeah. Joe, Joe, you gotta tell my daughter that. You know why? Because they were yelling at me. I mean, I as a kid I had the Haunted Mansion by Lakeside Products, which was a game back in the nineteen seventies, which if you look at it today, when it goes on eBay, it goes for sale for like wow. four hundred and some dollars. The graphics on the game are phenomenal. It was one of the box itself was made kind of flimsy because it, it was very thin. So it's hard to find one in really good condition. But here's the thing. Always wanted to go to Walt Disney all my life. I drove over 24 times to Florida. And because of the cost and fear of how much it was going to cost me, especially oh, yeah. with three kids, I never went. Well, I'm telling you, Eddie, you would you would love the Haunted Mansion my, ride. My daughter took me. In uh, I, I guess like three years ago, and then we went back again a second time. But the first time I went, I only rode the Pirates of the Caribbean twice. The first time I went, because you know, I don't like the drops, and it kind of has this drop that gets on my belly. I hate it, and and that's the only reason <laughs> why I only rode because I, I that was the other ride. Because remember, they used to have the Haunted Mansion model kits from MPC. And they also mm-hmm. had the Pirates of the Caribbean that you can see in old comic books. And they all had the sap action, meaning that they moved when you built them and painted them. In fact, they've been reintroduced. You can find them on Amazon under the name Haunted Manor and something like that. But the thing is that I always wanted to go and see the Haunted Mansion. So what I did was I used the excuse that I had my grandson with me and I went in the thing five times. Okay. <laughs> now, <laughs> I kept you there, Eddie? Myself. Now the lines were so huge that prevented me to do more. The next time I went last year, or the year before, actually last year, we went in October, and I got to tell you one thing, man. Disney kicks it here. Disney's got to be the best, man. Oh, I went yeah. into the haunted mansion twice, and then I rode it a third time, and I was going to go again. And my daughter knows exactly where to find me. She goes like, Daddy's always in the same ride. And when I, I memorized the whole ride in my head, you know, like exactly. Oh, it, that ride was it, awesome. Ride. Yeah. But here's the funny thing. When I went to ride it again, the damn thing breaks, right? Uh. <laughs> I, I'm inside and I'm stuck. It's not moving. And I'm stuck over where you have the hole, where you have all the ghost dancing and stuff like that. You know, when, when it goes over to that like little... <laughs> It's kind of right. like a balcony going. Let me tell you something. We were there for like 15, 20 minutes, and I was so excited taking pictures and video. <laughs> well, at least you didn't get stuck on the small world ride <laughs> oh, for 45 man. minutes. We got we got stuck on there. We were in the, the middle somewhere in the middle of it and it it broke wow. down and it was probably about 45 minutes, man. The song was still <laughs> playing and we didn't know what to do. We started splashing each other, you know, with the the water from the thing, and then finally it it got going. But man, that had that song in my head oh, that the would, rest of the That's day. enough to drive you. That's enough to drive you, you know, crazy. The, 
Did any of you ever yeah, ride really. the Peter Pan ride? Oh, yeah. That was cool. Okay, let me tell you something. Do you know when yeah. the Peter Pan ride, you know, you start getting in the in the doom buggy, whatever it is, or the mm -hmm. uh, cart, and it goes and it looks like the railing is going to finish, mm -hmm. and then you start flying in the air? Yeah. I thought, you know, yeah. I'm looking at it, I'm like, wait a minute, man, this thing is about to... <laughs> I honestly did not see that <laughs> happening. And I'm grabbing onto my grandson. I'm like, this thing is going to collapse. What are these? <laughs> I actually got scared when I saw that the thing finished. And then all of a sudden, it, it kept going. And I'm just, I, mean, I knew that was going to happen, obviously. But for a second, I'm looking at the railing where it's going. And it stops. Like, there's no more rail. I know. That I was know. really interesting. I told, my daughter oh, yeah. never rode it. She was trying to get in. And <laughs> I was too big. But that, that's one of the best rides uh I think I actually enjoyed it. It was pretty. Oh, cool. that's a that's a phenomenal ride. We we have one amusement park here in Pittsburgh. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it or not. It's called Kennywood, Kennywood Park. Okay. And oh it's, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's it's been around since I think 1896 somewhere in that area. And they they have a few older roller coasters from probably the 20s or the 30s. One is the Jack Rabbit, and the other one is is the uh, Racer. And then they introduced the Thunderbolt in 1968. And uh, supposedly at that time in 68. That was called the king of the coasters. I mean, that was that was the scariest one around. And uh, go ahead. I, I tell you what. Uh, the go ahead, the Chuck, one go thing ahead. that Kennywood has, which now I'm finding out, other older amusement parks have the same attraction. Okay, uh, this is not a ride. It's it's a laughing woman, and and basically her name, uh, her one one of the names they go by. Uh, she goes by is Laughing Cell, uh, for Laughing Sally, I guess. And it's 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 an automaton that stands in a booth and. When I was a kid, this thing scared the crap out of me. It's like a laughing woman. She's like seven foot tall and her arms flail and her mouth opens and closes and she laughs, <laughs> just constantly laughing. Are you guys familiar with her at all? You know what? I, I've, I've been to Kennywood several times and I don't remember ever okay, seeing she's, her there. She's near the train ride now for the last 10 or 15 years. She's, she's like ride. When you get on there, you'll see her. But this thing, when I was a kid, my parents would have to have to pick me up and, and carry me when I was a little kid and I just I looked at her that was must not crying. But if you do if you if you, know, if you do a Google search laughing cell at uh, Kennywood Park, that's S A L, uh you'll see even like a YouTube clip of her. I mean it is really something to you, see. You know something you reminded me? Let me tell you something. I came across well actually I bought this thing on Amazon that lets me digitize original Super 8 films. Now, when I was a kid and when they took me to Coney Island, my stepfather and mom, they had, uh, they took a total of at least three or four, three, well, about three, four minutes each one, because it's only a 50 foot film, you know, and you would record. But I have live films of me writing uh, rides that are, don't, don't exist anymore, such as Spookorama. Uh, Spookorama was <laughs> a haunted house ride that actually went through the outside and had like two sections on it. And the thing that was wow, funny is that cool. it had Batman and Robin inside. It, I mean, so stupid. Uh, it was kind of like, it, you know, you pass in front of it, it light up and they'll be like, nee, 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 nee. and they show Batman. And that was called Spookorama. <laughs> and there was another ride that I think is they still have it in Coney Island. I don't know. I haven't been there in, who knows, 20, 30 years. Uh, it's called the Hell Hole. And you could see like in the outside, they have like the, the devil taking a head. And it's putting it in and, uh, you know, up and down in this thing. Now, the thing that was funny about the hellhole, that's the one that you spin around, you get stuck in the wall. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. As a kid, sure. I got in it. And as soon as I realized what was going to happen, I chickened out 
and walked right out. So I, <laughs> I got in it, stood by the wall. They put the chain and I took it off and left. Um, so I, I never really rode that. But that you can see me riding the which was apparently the first one ever um you know that 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 not it's it's the oldest what was the uh, wooden roller coaster you, in the world you cut out on my end eddie what was okay, the name the of the ride, ride in coney island that i was riding was called the um it's called the spook arama are you talking about that one they had the batman that was like a okay. outside and then they had the hell hole the hell hole and there was one called i think spook house too but i don't remember that the hell hole was there but i also wrote what they call um gosh i think it's called rolling thunder it's the oldest roller coaster wooden roller coaster in the world and for like the last 80, 90 years, it's still active and it's still running today. Um, wow, that's and cool. I think last year they were trying to shut it down because of how much the um, insurance is on it. I mean, the. Oh, sure. But you know what? I wrote that. I wrote, uh, uh, I forget one. I don't know if it's called now. You know what? I got a, a blank in my head right now. I don't know if it's Rolling Thunder. I'm sure a lot of the listeners can, can relate to what I'm talking about, know which one I'm talking about. Um, and maybe you can comment. Oh, in the yeah. comment section, because a lot of people don't realize that you can comment when you are in this show. People can write. And in fact, as I was actually right now, I don't really know how to do it, but I saw somebody commented as we were talking and they uh, <laughs> it popped up in front of me here. Um, but the point is that Konya, I have four films that I'm going to digitize in the next week or so. And I'm going to upload it to my YouTube channel. That's that's going to be really cool because it's it's original. And the last time that would be yeah, the last time I saw those films were probably 1985. <laughs> wow! So they've been in hiding. <laughs> Back when you had some hair on on, yeah, on the head, I, I had everything. <laughs> a big mustache at the time too, man. <laughs> hey Chuck, have you ever since you're you're close? Have you ever been up to um to Cedar Point? Oh yeah, I was there. I guess about 20, maybe about 25 years ago. Yeah, that was a cool place. That was really neat. Yeah. They got really, really cool rides. But I, I, I think the last time I was up there and I went oh, back in, I think it was around 2002. Mm-hmm. And then I went again, uh, my wife and I and her sister and, and brothers, we went maybe about five years ago for their um, their Halloween nights or whatever. Sure. You know, they kind of sure. decorate the park for yeah. Halloween. and. I tell you what, there they had this really cool. It's like a Halloween village, and you walk through, and it's. I mean, wow. it's it's absolutely amazing the stuff they that have there. Cool. Really cool haunted houses, but we only got a chance to to get through one because it was so packed. See, that's up what there. happens. Yeah, Pittsburgh Pittsburgh you know, Kennywood Park has something called Phantom Nights, and uh, from my understanding, I, I I've never went, but both of my kids have gone. They said it's so jammed, exactly like you said. You have difficulty. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just yeah, we went to Phantom Nights one time, and I think they had five, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, maybe five haunted houses, and I think we made it into three yeah. of them, I, yeah. I believe, because there was a real cool one. It was all clowns that I wanted <laughs> to go to, and by the time we got out of the, the third haunted house, 
the, you know, the park was closing up and I was trying yeah. to make it there to Just get in line, it. but they yeah. had already shut the line down yeah. and I said, but yeah, they had it real done up. They had it done up really oh, nice know, there, but it, like you, you know, said, a lot it, of people it was packed. Back in the 1980s, I think it was early 1980s, uh, Burgettine, New Jersey had the first haunted house, walk-in haunted house, and it was like a castle. And it was called Brigantine Castle. The commercials mm. for that were phenomenal, man. They used to be like, come to Brigantine, New Jersey, Brigantine. <laughs> and they were great. And then uh, the, the, the place in New Jersey, there's, there was a, a pier in Long Branch, which is a beach now. It's always been a beach. I'm saying there was this amusement pier that they had the haunted mansion, which was also, they would say like, in fact, if you go to YouTube and you Google the haunted mansion in Long Branch, you'll see the old commercials about it. And one of the oh, things wow. that was phenomenal, I mean, it's really great because the commercial, was, there would be like live people walking around and scaring people. Of course, in the beginning, it was a big hit. And then people uh, were getting punched. Uh, people were, uh, and things happened, you know? Until finally, mm -hmm. I think uh, this is going to make you laugh. In 1987 or 88, I, I went there. That was the last time I went there. And we're about to go into the Haunted Mansion. Uh, it was, I think, like 1250 to go in or whatever. And this sounds stupid, especially for a man that loves monsters. But I kind of didn't want to really go in. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, eh, <laughs> I don't want to really go in. You know what I mean? And I'll tell you what made me kind of think that way. When, they, when you look, and this is why I'm telling you, you guys got to Google the commercial. It shows at the end of the commercial uh, a spiral staircase going up. It looks like going up into a dungeon. And this guy is walking down the staircase with long hair. And he's got hair like that movie uh, with the girl with the long hair. What do you call that movie? The Thing or something like that? You know which, uh, you know which I'm talking about, Joe? It's a modern movie that the girl's got her hair covering her eyes. Oh, sure. What is it? Sure. Called? Is she coming out of? Is she coming out of like a TV yeah, set yeah. and what, everything? What is it oh, 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 darn! What the heck well, is that anyway, called? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, where you guy, watch the videotape a, a and guy that looks like I don't know the Hunchback of Notre Dame, and he's coming down the stairs, and then it would say, "Come to the haunted mansion in Long Branch. It's waiting for you." <laughs> anyway, the commercials are now, and there used to be this billboard next to my house when you got on Route Three. Man, I wish I had a picture of that billboard. It was phenomenal, man. It was the best billboard for the Haunted Mansion ever. But anyway, wow. I you know what I I see I, I seem to remember in like the eighties and nineties, there's just being tons of haunted houses and they were advertised yeah. everywhere. TV, radio, oh, newspapers. Yeah, they were everywhere. Well, and now it they, it doesn't seem no, like no, there's there, hardly anything. Doing, I mean, I mean, of course with COVID, of course, things have but look, last summer, about two summers or three summers ago, I went to Florida and my my brother took me over to one of those amusement things, like, you know, carnivals. And let me tell you, though, there was a haunted house there, but this is it was kind of dark. It was like 7 p.m. and it was really dark. And I said, I want to go to the, the, the haunted thing, you know, and I, this time I was going to go. As I'm, I thought, the, listen, just think, you know, how when you go to a bank, you know, those railing things that make the line. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm thinking it's like I don't see anybody because it's pitch dark. It's outside, right? <laughs> when I go, there were 24 aisles of that, like those railings. <laughs> there wow. must have been 500 people waiting. Uh, and it, wow. it got the humidity, the heat. And I was it's too much. I did that thing and screw it. So I left, you know. <laughs> but um, 
you know what? For the and I've been talking to Dave Harvestad about this, and and I've tried, but the only thing is, I haven't come out with a portable or enough portable thing that I would do it. But I've always there was an ad in Popular Science which I kind of regret I didn't send away for. It was how to cre- how to create or how to construct a portable haunted house, walk through mm. haunted house that you can dismantle in less than an hour, it says. And um, and you can carry it in the back of a pickup truck. That wow. was the ad. The ad said that. Wow. I didn't send away for it. I've actually looked for it whenever I could. I Googled it. If I see it on, on eBay or something, I send away for it. But I've told David a million times, especially in the Meadowlands flea market, in the Meadowlands flea market by my house, every mm-hmm. Saturday, it's there year round. English town flea market has been there for the last 70 years and it's year wow. round. What they charge a month is like maybe three, $400 a month. And you have like four parking spaces. That's the area they give you. And if I were to have one of those haunted houses, because they have some guy there every single weekend, he's got one of those bouncy houses and he's making right. a fortune with it. But you know how cool it would be to have a portable haunted house? I mean, that, that would be neat. That is super neat. But the idea with it is to make it one easy, attractive, and yet portable. And here's the thing. There was a truck. I haven't seen it in a while. A truck, a 24-foot moving truck like the ones you hold use. And the guy took the truck. He put a door by the front of the truck on the side with a little stair going down and then he opened the back door uh, and you would go in and, and, and he had this be- a beautiful black hole pictured on the thing. Kind of like the Disney movie, The Black Hole back in the mm-hmm. 70s when I was a kid, which I saw. It had an image like that and it would say The Black Hole. You went in, this is phenomenal, you would go in and when you went in for like $2, whatever he charged, there was a spinning, it was like a spinning thing, a big canvas, which I swear had like two giant hula hoops. And there was like a motor in each side because I took movies inside because I, my idea was I got to construct something like this. And it would get you dizzy as you walk through. It looked like, you know, the whole place was like, you know, had a, a thing spinning around. It's dark and you came out the other <laughs> side. But I'm like, wow, that's a cool ride, man. Well, hey, guys, I hate to, to bust in, but we got about two minutes uh, left here. So we're going to finish up with just a um, a few announcements. And uh want to thank our guest, Chuck, for coming on board again, and Eddie, as always. And uh, we want to thank everybody out there in, in podcast land for, you know, your continued support of us. Uh, check us out on uh, – Check us out on YouTube. Eddie's got some great videos that are going up there. A lot of uh, magic done by Chuck. You can check that out. Uh, it's under House of the Unusual. Head over to houseoftheunusual.com. We got a great forum site there. Uh, it's free to join. A lot of good conversations and you know meet some like-minded people. And even give us some ideas of, of uh, shows that you want to hear. And if you want to be a guest, you know, drop us a line on there and let us know. And also for all you monster kids out there, uh, there is a convention happening this summer, uh, Monster Bash Under the Stars. It's June 11th through 12th. It's at the Riverside Drive-In in uh, Vandergrift, PA. I oh, that's not too far. You, yeah, that's not too far at all. Yeah. 
So they just announced that um a, a couple of days ago. So you head over to monsterbashnews.com and uh, you'll get your updates on that. But the conventions are are finally slowly now, starting to to come to light. People are finding you know ways to to have them and to uh, you know get back together with some you know some people that you usually see at conventions and have a good time. So Eddie, no, what do you got for us at the end here? Is, uh... Not I'm going to be uploading a few more videos on YouTube, and um, that's about it. Just look up. I know that I haven't uploaded in the last week or two because I've been talking with Chuck over a whole uh, strategy we're doing. And uh, having said that, well, anyway, goodbye, guys. Thank you for joining us, and listen to us on iTunes. Don't forget, we're on okay. Apple iTunes. Yep, we're up. Yeah, we're on all, all your favorite podcast platforms. So have a good night. Okay, thanks, thanks, guys. Stopping by. Bye-bye. Hey, what's up? What's up, buddy? Sorry I'm a little late there. My uh, <laughs> Couldn't find my uh, iPad. I had it left it in the car, man. I'm like, where is it? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I uh yeah because I came this morning and I stayed in my house, and my grandson was begging me to be over there, but I've, uh, you know, I I was tired, so I went to bed and woke up. So uh, we're waiting on Chuck now. He should be on any second. Okay, I'm just yeah. yeah Chuck today went earlier to take his wife to the hospital, so I think they finished the th- thing. So he's good. I spoke to him at nine o'clock. He's good to be on. So he should be coming on. I just sent him the link. Okay. I was going to get Teresa Massa, but I kind of called her late. I think she went to bed. So that was fine because, I mean, that's really – I don't know if she can really add too much to this. Yeah, she don't need to be on. I mean – Yeah. It was, I was kind of always – you always hope of having that uh, spokesperson. But you know what? I think Chuck has become that. So I don't think we Yeah, need to I, I would say Chuck's a lot a lot better. And he he's along the lines of what the podcast, you know, was going towards, you know, magic and mystery stuff and – Exactly. You know, all that. So, yeah, Chuck was Chuck was perfect. Yeah, let me try to tell him, because uh, he's probably wondering. Man, I ate some Chinese food right now. I wish I didn't, bro. Oh, gosh, it tastes like shit. You know when the grease, you feel it in your throat? Oh, yeah. Eddie. Yeah, you got it? No, no, no. I, I sent it to you. We're waiting. Okay. No, I didn't get it yet. Did you send it to the right address? Yeah. Well, yeah, let, let me send you. I'll send you another link right now. Yeah, well, I'm on. I'm online. Hold on, buddy. Hold on. Uh-huh. No, we, I started five minutes late because I left the uh, computer in the in the car. And I was going crazy uh-huh. looking for it in the house. I'm like, what? That? where is it? Where's my... And my wife is like, I haven't touched it. I go, it's in my bag. Where is it? Always blaming the wife. Yeah. Online. Hold on a second. I'm in my inbox right now. I know, Chuck. You, you're like the one that would... Tell me if you got it. No. What the heck? Magic at yahoo.com. Yeah. Hmm. Hold on a second. Old time magic, yeah. Check computer. At yahoo.com. I sent you three. 
three emails. Well, you've had it before, so it will tell me. I'm in my inbox. Refresh it. Get out of it and go back in again. No, I don't have it. I'm in my inbox. I went out of it, went back in. Interesting. I'm checking under spam. I don't have it. That's send it to the right address. No, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to exit out of. I'm going to send it directly from. Um, I'm going to respond to one of your emails right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, because. I know it's it's kind of weird. You should have gotten it now. No. I don't know what's going on. I've never had this problem before. Old time magic. It happens, man. You got it? Okay, no, no, because if not, I was sending you another one right now. Uh, sometimes it's not you're doing, it's just sometimes you talk, Sometimes you send yourself an email and that's what happens. It, it takes a while to kick back in. There's no, no hurry. This is pre-recorded, so it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's not... We say ten thirty for. I mean, 10, when it's when it's live in Zoom, it's different because it starts transmitting the moment you go live. Okay, could you guys hear me? Okay. Oh my gosh, fantastic, brother. Okay, there we are. All right, I'll hang the phone up now. Okay. Okay, good. You guys can hear me. Yeah, try, try to see uh, your computer went eight, eight for a second there, but it could be just make sure that you have a good signal wherever you're standing. Okay, I'm close to the router. I'm not far from it. Uh, listen, Chuck, uh, I got a question. Do you, um, I know you sold me a lot of things. Can I buy your voice? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> the man with the radio voice. <laughs> yeah, the man, yeah, he's, he's got the Wolfman Jack here. Boy. Man, I love voices. <laughs> you know, you know what's so funny about it? Like, and this real quick before we start. Uh, if you saw the magic trick I, I showed you, uh, Joe, that I sent you when he was doing the floating skull magic trick. Yeah, I couldn't believe the bottom. You know the voice that the skull says that was his. I was like, that was what? that was my voice. Yeah, <laughs> oh my god, that was good, man. I was like, damn, I uh, thought that like recorded on the internet. Uh, I, how'd you like that, Joe? Did you think that trick was pretty cool? Yeah, very cool, very cool. <laughs> well, Chuck, one thing I need to ask you, and this is important. It's kind of well, you know what, Chuck? Um, I don't know. I probably ask you. I'll ask you in the in the show. Let's yeah, we'll say save it for the show. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'll ask yep. you because it's good. All right, we're going to get started here. Ready? Three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky. With me, as always, is Eddie Guevara. And tonight, again, we have our special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, the mystery Chuck Caputo. Chuck, oh, what's yeah. up, brother? Hey, not too much. It's fantastic being here. It's always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. Definitely, definitely happy to, to have you back. And the all of our, our fans and everybody out in podcast land seems to uh, like you on here. So what uh, me and Eddie are going to do is we're going to pack up. 
we're gonna leave the house and leave everything to you and you uh, <laughs> and we'll we'll just collect the we'll just collect the interest as we're sitting on a beach uh, sipping coladas or something. <laughs> hey, definitely. We're just gonna. I'm already packed up and out the door, man. That's it, Eddie. What's new over at House of the Unusual? Um, tell you what, man. One of the newest things is kind of like um, not just new. It just blew my mind. Is the when we talk about the legendary Chuck Caputo, I didn't realize how much of a legend he really was. It, it, in fact, it's more detailed than I thought. Um, I was talking to David Harvestad about a day or two ago, and we're talking about the, because, you know, as we know, Chuck has joined the force here, and Chuck has now got his own magic line coming out and, and all this stuff soon. And, well, I was looking up a few things on how to get one of the projects he just recently did, which is one of the best tricks ever. Uh, you know, manufactured and stuff. And uh, the fact that Dave has a couple of uh, trademarks to his name of famous companies, I was contemplating using maybe one of his or, or you know, just for the manufacturing of the magics. Now, I, I, I don't know how it was that David finds a magazine from about two years ago and he sends me a picture and it's got an article and lo and behold, the magazine or book, whichever it was, uh, it's called Yankee something has uh, Chuck Caputo inside. Oh, I'm familiar with that. That's the Yankee magic collector. It's up in, uh, I believe, Boston. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. I have a quick question to ask you. Do you have a copy of that magazine, Chuck? I do. I have it in one of my bookshelves. Uh, I'd have to look for it. But yes, I do. As a matter of fact, huh? Because I need to get that article. That article is phenomenal. And the thing that blew me away is, you know, Chuck has decided to, uh, not only being the person he is, uh, I guess as a person just beyond real, you know, he's uh, like they say, bigger than life. Um, he decided to let me hold on to a couple of his uh, magic possessions. And one of them are um, a couple of days ago, I was uh, reading an article. Well, actually, I, there were, I seen an, um, a, 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 a kind of a show. It's called Oddities or there was a show. On television, I think it's still on, by the way, but it's called Obscura. Absolutely. And and the the show itself had an, uh, a, a page of the weirdest things and stuff out there. And there was a link to a video from John, am I pronounced John Guzman or something like that? The the older guy that owns the... Um, oh, yes, I believe dump. I believe so, yeah. What's his name? Uh, you know what? I can't remember, but it, it possibly might have been John. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, well, anyway, well, the guy, he's uh, he's got one uh, one device or one particular puppet that was invented by uh, uh, Robert Houdin, the, the Houdini took his name from back in 1840-something. And anyway, the second part of the show showed a, a chess player, which anybody who's ever written, I'm not written, who's ever read a book about either automatons, robots, or magic, has got to have heard about the chess player, the the Turkish chess player that they invented in 17, I think it was 1740-something or 1760-something that supposedly took on a lot of famous people, and this chess player won. There's been over 800 books written on the subject, and as much as three movies have been made on it, uh, and, you know, and to this day, we really don't know how the chess player worked due to the fact that the original burned down in the 1850s in a museum fire. Now, what I found phenomenal, which it happens with Chuck all the time when you said the name 
a man of mystery that in true, you know, that not only entitles a title, but a truth in reality. And I'll, the reason I'm saying that is because Chuck, lo and behold, and, and this is the third time he does it. When he first <laughs> uh, spoke with me back in January 15th, he sends me an email and says, oh, uh, I see you're selling the book on how to make the Leon haunted house. I had made one several years ago. And he sends me the, which is right now is the only video on the internet of the subject of anybody actually doing a display with the great Leon haunted house. Then, and lo and behold, uh, I'm talking another a week later, I'm reading about the Josephine skull and all this stuff. And I go, Hey Chuck, did you, he goes, Oh, uh, you know, he sends me a video link, which was funny. It actually happened before I even spoke with him. He must already, you know, through his telep telepathy, uh, read my mind over, <laughs> over the air. And uh, he sends me the link to the one he had made. So I'm like, I'm just reading about the skull about two or three days ago. And here, Chuck had already done one and he had performed with it. So then I had the, the other thing that blows my mind is I, I, I send him a link to the Turkish player. And he says, well, Eddie, um, a year ago, I made one, a tabletop one. Here it is. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I've decided, I said, Chuck, all that stuff that's been coincidental, whatever, being the man of mystery that you are, I need it for you to, to, you know, somehow get them in my hands. And we worked out and you know what, that's exactly what's happening. Now, the reason I asked you for that article is because I noticed that the, the, the Turkish chess player appears in that 19 or 2019 or 18 mm -hmm. magazine, Yankee Magician. Right. Um, anyway, I, I've been going on eBay trying to find it. I'm glad you have a copy because Dave has a copy. And, uh, you know, I, I need to get it from either or of you guys to really, you know, either scan the, the article out. Um, it doesn't really matter, you know, if I have the magazine or not, but I need the article scanned and I need it scanned at a very high resolution because that's going to add providence to the actual device you're sending me. Right, right. And, and I thought it was phenomenal. So, yeah, so the man of mystery continues. Now, one question I have for you, Chuck. How are you able to mentally read my mind before I even think of things and get them done? I don't know, Eddie. Eddie. It is it is kind of strange. <laughs> I don't understand it. But the, you know what? I love to read, you know, and I and I read about antique magic props, you know, I, you know, such as the Josephy talking skull. The, the the Turk was invented by by an Austrian, uh, a uh, like an inventor. I wouldn't say he's a magician, but his last name was von Kemplin. And uh, this thing, this thing toured the world. And uh, you know what? It beats uh, this this uh, chess player beat people like Ben Franklin. He beat um, you know other other well known people at uh, chess actually. You know, and uh, no one really knows how it works, but this thing was life size, and the, the the cabinet that it sat on, they would open up one door at a time. They would open one door, close it, open the other door to show that it was empty. Uh, one major theory is that there was an individual in there uh, that. Uh, that was he was an he was like an amputee. Uh, he didn't he didn't have any legs, and and he was a master chess player. And so when they opened one door up, he'd be on the opposite side. When they closed it, there was a rack or a sliding tray type thing. He would slide over to the other side, and he would he would work the Turk's uh, arm with certain levers and so forth. And there was some type of a viewing device where he can see what the moves were. And uh, he he beat just about everybody he played. I mean, it was it was it was really amazing. People didn't know how this thing worked, and like I said, he beat Ben Franklin. I believe he played Napoleon, and there's a few other well, very well known individuals that were 
they were very upset that they lost to him, actually. <laughs> well, my, my question, now that you said about, you know, you talked about that, the guy who has spent, uh, this guy, John, I think his name is John. I'm actually looking right. Uh, trying, to, trying to find um, yeah, his, his information. Yeah, his name is John Gahan, I think you're talking about. Yeah, yeah John, that's him. Right. That's him to you. I don't have to look anymore. Thanks again. Again, you read my <laughs> mind and you figure, let me get it before he does. That guy, John. He said he spent over 35 years making what he believes to be the original. Mm -hmm. And he's duplicated everything possible on it. Um, that is, it's it's just amazing. Now, what really surprises me when you, right now you blew my mind when you said that uh, the little guy, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Napoleon played with him. And that's phenomenal. And they never found out exactly how it worked. No. There was no, they just have speculation. Now, I know you made one of those, but I have a question. Have you ever considered trying to make a copy of uh, Antonio? What's the name of the book? Wow, that would be rough. Yeah, that was by Robert Houdin. It was Antonio Antonio Diavolo. And he was, a, he was a gymnast, basically. He was a trapeze artist. And it was all watch work. It was just unbelievable. I mean, if you do search this, there there is a few uh, people who did uh, reproduce these. Uh, I, I believe there's one or two people who did. And uh, it's just amazing. I mean, this this uh, this little guy, this little man, he puts on a trapeze and he swings it back and forth. And uh, the guy would hang by his arms, he'd hang by one arm, he'd flip over, and he'd hang by his feet. I mean, it was all watch work. It was just unbelievable. And uh, you know, from and from my understanding, John somehow came about the the original one, and he restored. Shocked at what he found inside. I mean. I mean, like the advanced technology with the watch work was just unbelievable. See, see, Robert Houdin was a master watchmaker. Okay. And uh, so things that he made were all watch work. Uh, uh, but this, but this is probably one of the most complex pieces he ever made. Well, yeah, but you answered the question right there by being, uh, uh, you know, being able to do watches and stuff. That's how he was able to right. do that. The balance. Exactly. Uh, I mean, what John, this guy, John said, according to what he said is that the original one, Somehow, I forgot where it is. It landed in some museum or something. And one of the persons who inherited it was one of the founders of, uh, uh, not Fox Television, um, Warner Brothers okay. Television. And I think when the guy passed away or something like that, they donated or gave it to the Magic Castle. Mm -hmm. And that's where this guy, John, got it from. Now, he said he got it in pieces. And it took him about seven years to restore it to its original you know whatever right. now he's got it where it actually works i mean he's he had it on the, the the skid there how you know it does the trapeze and stuff and i'm like wow man in fact you know what it reminded me of guys it reminded me of you have you guys ever seen when we were little they had that um i think it was a fireman or something that climbs the right. ladder and then, yeah, and then yeah. it would come back down but there was also one that it was a big ladder and it was like a wooden toy and, and you would put on top of the ladder, uh, you would put, I think it was like a little monkey or something, and it would start spinning down and go down the ladder. Uh, you know which uh, toy I'm talking about? I believe about? so, yeah. Uh, and, and also, you know, and I, it also reminded me of, you remember those little things that had like a little gorilla, and you squeezed the two uh, knobs on the side, and it would do acrobats? Oh, that was cool. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what that, I mean, I have a few of those, actually, but, you know, the impossible to me is kind of like, I look at it as a challenge. If it's impossible, I'm going to try to do it. And 
I asked you that because I kind of found it strange that you didn't tackle that, Chuck, because you built so many other things. And um, I think, honestly, to be honest with you, it's something that's tempting to try it. Uh, I mean, if we, I'm sure that if we look online or something, there will be some uh, way of, of, you know, some blueprints of how it really worked or I'm sure it's not a magical secret because I know David said to me that it kind of, see, there's two things in my mind right now that are bothering me big time. One is the, how that device works. And I know David said with strings and stuff, I don't think there were strings there because uh, I think it's more like watch work. Oh, stuff, absolutely. Yeah. I think, the, I think the, the whole thing was watch work and even, even the trapeze was a metal rod, Eddie. I think at different parts, pistons would actually pop out of the, out of the trapeze and they would activate, uh, you know, like different levers, uh, you know, uh, control points in his arms, in his, you know, in his hands when he was gripping it. So I think there's, I think there's, there's in the trapeze bar itself and in the uh, little figure also. So there's two things going on there. Well, I mean, the, the whole thing is that we're looking at the 1840s. This guy built this in 1840. That's that's crazy. That's that crazy. Even he had the it's technology. crazy. But the thing that also, and it's funny because ever since then, now I'm all of a sudden interested in Robert Houdin, which I've never really <laughs> cared for, you know. But um, <laughs> the thing that really, really throws me on that is that here it is. It does all those acrobats and all this stuff. And... It really, really blew me away when it actually both hands went up oh, in the amazing. air. And, you know, I'm like, are you yeah. kidding me? You know, I'm looking at that. But then again, the other one is, I think we're talking with Thurston, the magician Thurston, where he had the lady float all over the audience. Mm -hmm. I started thinking I need to do some research on that because, you know, I, I have a, a, oh gosh, I got hundreds of magic books that probably have the explanations for the, a lot of those things. One of the magic books I have, you might be familiar with it. Um, I think it shows Thurston in the front cover. It's like a 500-page book. And I bought it because I liked the front cover as a kid. I bought it in New York City in an old magic shop in Times Square, probably in 1975. And the book itself, I guess at that time, must have cost me like $19, which my parents bought it. I was surprised. <laughs> but... Um, it's a 500 page book and it shows it's got a black cover and it shows this guy like electric sparks coming out of his hands and there's a floating woman in front of him. Are you familiar with the magic? Book yeah, I believe about? I am. Yes. Yes. I do know what you mean. Yep. Yeah. I have a feeling that book inside would have an explanation how that, how that works. I need to find mine because I have no idea where it is, but that particular book I think has it because I remember as a kid, I mean, you're talking about a 10 yeah. year old kid. How the heck am I going to read a book with college level? <laughs> That's true, right? I just looked at it. I think I read like two or three pages, it was... and that was it. I couldn't. Yeah. But I've had it. I've had it with me. Gosh, uh, 40, 50 wow. years almost. You know. That's fantastic. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Robert Herdan was amazing. I mean, he was way ahead of his time, Eddie. You know, and uh, there, you know, th there was no, uh, you know, uh, small. Uh, uh, motors to put into things at that time you know there were there was no electronics so to speak of it and you know in that time era i mean they came along much later so yeah he used all all watch works uh one other item he made is called the pastry chef and if you search this i believe john gauham also either had the original and he rebuilt it or actually made a duplicate of it i was always fascinated by that as a matter of fact i kind of 
started one of these, but I never finished it. So sometime down the line, I may try to replicate, a, you know, a, you know, like a version of it. it. It won't be the exact same one, but it's a really neat one. If you if you do search this, you can find it. It's called the it's called the pastry chef. What it is is what it is is a beautiful ba uh, bakery, like a French pastry bakery, and uh, so, so basically there, there's a little chef that comes out the front door you know, with a tray on his hand and, and he has like a, a menu and it has uh, maybe like five or six different types of pastries for the spectator to choose. So, so the spectator will basically circle one of the pastries and place it on the tray and the chef will nod his head and take it back inside the, 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 uh, the bakery itself. And when he's in there, you can, uh, you can see him at the table uh, with a rolling pin, like rolling out the dough and so forth. And then uh, within a minute or so, he, he pops back out the door and he has the pastry that you circled on his tray. Uh, it's, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful effect. And I, and I have the framework for it. I actually built, built the uh, bakery and I have a few of the components, uh, but I did never finish it. So that would probably be the next thing that I would attempt to build if it's even possible. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll accomplish it. You know something I want to tell you, Chuck and, and Joe? I was looking the uh, the other night when I was interested. There's a museum for Robert Houdin. It's in Bl Blios. I have no idea where that is, but I think it's that. It's in France, France that's right? correct. Is that when you get next to it, like snakes come out of the window? Uh, who knows? Like that? that would be cool to visit it, though, because, uh, see, that's where he... That that's where he lived in Blois, France. And, um, and that's where his, his burial site is. He has a beautiful, he has a beautiful burial site. If you, if you Google it, like you'll see his tombstone, it's fantastic. But yeah, that's, uh, well, that's where his theater was also. Okay. There, there is, I don't know if that's maybe where the museum is, it's inside the theater, but there is, when you get to the museum, when you stand in front of the building on the top, there's an actual video that has it on YouTube. Um, I should put the link to to this at the end of the show too, but it shows that there's a total like it looks like I don't know it looks like some type of giant octopus is coming oh, out the okay. windows, and that and the windows open up and they actually start coming out and moving. Uh, it's really phenomenal. I was like, what the <laughs> heck is that? You know, but but you could see it. It's actually on, on YouTube, and and you know, like I said, I'm gonna put the link. Um, for it because you know it's 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 something that i i personally think it, it would be Absolutely. worth to for the people to see it but it, it's really and 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 in fact I'm, I'm trying to actually see right now if i could um you know copy that link and 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 which i'm actually doing right now and um okay yeah actually and and sending it to you guys because you, you yeah guys that would be, be that would be cool you know you know one strange fact about robert houdin i think as far as i as far as i read I, i'm not positive on this but i believe he only performed for eight years professionally i think he he opened his theater he performed to packed houses i believe only for eight years and then he went into retirement and um and he had a nice little estate there and he was working on uh, different types of inventions for the rest of his life and um but as far as i remember you'd have to talk to dave about this but i think i read he only performed for eight years believe it or not and it was he was he was uh, pretty well up there when he started performing i mean he was not a young man when he started performing professionally uh now yeah but my question to you is this though if, if when you're saying when he started performing professionally is there a possibility was he more like a magician or he had props that worked like clockwork, you know? Yeah, I, really I think it was a combination of both. You know, I think he performed a lot of magic effects also, you know, one of which was a, 
was a acopia. Uh, uh, he, he was well known for. He would show it empty, and then he would produce a bunch of flowers from it, and so forth. Yeah, so he did. Uh, he did uh, suspensions, uh, like he made one of his sons float. Uh, at that time, I two sons. One one was probably maybe twelve or thirteen years old at the time when he was performing professionally. So he'd 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 uh, he'd uh, make him levitate and so forth. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he was quite the magician. Also, it's just that he would he would he would pepper some of his uh you know some of his uh, creations into the magic show itself so yeah he did he did some fantastic magic also he was very inventive with with his magic and uh you know he actually created a lot of uh, uh you know like certain magic effects as well what what made him um what do they call him the father of modern day magic yeah yeah because like you know what like uh you know like i said in one of the past broadcasts uh podcasts you know what he he took magic in from the streets okay you know like back in those days there's a lot of there was a lot of uh you know like street performers and so forth uh you know you know like dressed up as gestures he was the first person to actually take magic into a classic theater i mean it was very very beautiful uh i think uh, joe was talking about like he was he was trying to imagine you know like going back in time to like a theater with the jet streams you know with the gas lights and so forth oh, yeah. uh, that's exactly what he used was was the gas lighting you know what it was a very very uh classy type of an atmosphere and he was the first to actually wear like a tuxedo you know so yeah that's why he's called the father of, of uh, modern magic and when dave was on there a few times ago for uh, for one of the podcasts we had talked about how uh, how how uh, uh the great houdini came up with a book in 1908 the unmasking of Robert houdin and he turned against them and he basically claimed that houdin did not build these things that he had he had a friend of him uh, build these effects which 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 that's very very doubtful because like people that knew uh, Robert Houdin were very uh, they were they were uh, you know pretty much aware of his his genius. Well, I, I could see the uh, yeah the, it's called La Dragon Les Dragons Mansion de la oh, Calle, okay. which I think is that's apparently I think it was his theater and it was converted. I was just looking real quick over here as so I was. Uh, and it shows a dragon literally comes out of the window. Now, it definitely has to be some type of mechanical because it actually looks like a big giant oh, sure. hand yeah. or somebody coming out. But it has Robert Houdin's statue right in front of the mm -hmm. entrance. There's a couple of videos on it. I sent yeah, you guys to check those. Yeah, I'll have to check those out. Oh. But, but, but there is no. Then I also noticed that there is another one, which I don't know if this is his. But it's a woman playing a piano, and it's it has something Robert Houdin on it. I think it's like, a, you know, it's not that big, but it's it works with again clockwork. It has like a music box mm -hmm. underneath her dress, and she plays the piano. They're all these automatons where automatons that mm -hmm. work on. Uh, well, this one says here the girl says it was created in 1772, wow. so I think there was a lot of technology back then. Uh, to make things move and work, and they work in the principle of those little music right. boxes, you know. And I didn't realize how much of that was done back in the 1700s. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm right now kind of like thrown back by all this stuff, and and now again, this makes my because uh, it's all like wound up, and I think it just makes my uh, my curiosity. Oh, exactly. But then my brain just keep flowing over now because now I'm <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear it. In <laughs> all this automatons, this I tell crazy. you what, Eddie. I was always interested. You know, I was always very interested in uh, 
you know, watch work, uh, electronics, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, the, uh, the automatons as well, you know, and I've, and I've read most of the books, uh, that do detail a lot of these things. And you know what, I'm not formally trained with electronics or anything. I was the kind of kid that was a tinkerer. I mean, I would take things apart. I mean, and I would, I'd uh, study how they worked and so forth. And when my wife and I got married almost 29 years ago, I would take apart RC cars and, and they work on two channels, channel 27 and channel 49, which are, which are common frequencies. So they do get the interference quite a bit. Uh, but then I migrated years ago to like the, uh, to the key fob type of things, you know, which are, they're, they're basically encoded where there's no interference and so forth. But I mean, but the things I do, I just basically trial and error. It's just a lot of, it's just, it's just a lot of persistence, a lot of hard work and so forth. Uh, but I've incorporated a lot of these things throughout the years with, you know, uh, 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 with my magic shows, obviously. So it worked out very well. And I've, I've sold a lot of my effects to different magicians and so forth. I'm very thankful that it did, it did take off. And it's a lot of fun for me to build these things because it's, uh, it's actually a therapy, you know, like kind of like therapeutic, I guess, uh, you know, it, like I said, I've always been interested in things of that nature, even uh, robotics is a fascinating, fascinating field. Well, well, the thing that really kind of I find interesting, the fact is also I was just noticing a lot of the facts, most of the stuff in the 1700s were done in, in France. I guess the French had a lead. It seems that way. It seems automatons. so. Yeah, it seems. Yeah, because I noticed a lot of them are from like the same era. Now, I got to be honest, man. All this stuff is just not only fascinating, but it, it gets me back to the fact what the same thing you did. What I used to do was take apart those robots that they <laughs> sold in those Chinese uh, stands sure. around New York. When you went downtown New York City in the 70s, they always had those battery-operated robots. Um, and I used to, <laughs> I took apart one or two of them in trying to build my own, but it's just fascinating. Oh, it is. Those things work. But the thing is that there's more fascinating, though, is that the, this is where I'm like, how the heck, when you do clockwork stuff, when you do things that are, um, you're talking about stuff that, that, you know, from the 1700s, what blows my mind is how did they manage to do the precision of those things? It's, ama it's amazing. It really is. I mean, that's crazy. Okay, so you're going to make the hand move slightly. Uh, you got to have like a lot of know-how on that, man. It's, it really it's is. Really it's crazy. fascinating. And there's a lot of different things of that nature out there, Eddie. There was a, a writing automaton years ago, but I believe that was in a, maybe like in a museum, I think in Philadelphia and it burned down years. It, it actually burned up in the museum. There's a big fire, but that was really I, cool. I am aware of that. I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I, I see anytime I read books on, and I have no kidding probably every book ever written on robots in wow. the 1970s i have about maybe 47 different books um i have the one from the i think his last name is like mm -hmm. hershman right. or something like that that was one is how to create how to build your own radio control robot how to build your own robot pet uh, a couple of them and i purchased them in, in fact i remember when i first went to purchase the first one i couldn't find it anywhere mm -hmm. it was out of print and there was this little bookstore next to my house that you would go in and the owner just went on and on until she finally <laughs> got it for me. Um, but I, like I said, I, you know, I went on now, of course, on eBay, you can you find can. a million other books, but, you know, before eBay, we talk. But now, Chuck, here's another thing that really kind of surprised me about you, too. I'm looking for the information on that Yankee Magic magazine. 
And when I put Chuck Magician Magic, I found not only Murphy Magic, but there's another something magic company. There's quite a few tricks out there that have yeah. your name on it that you, I guess, made. Uh, one of them is like some type of a box. It looks like a wooden box. Um, I know they're selling it for $300. Um, and it says the Chuck Caputo. Um, gosh, what was it called? I don't remember the name of something box. Uh, I guess you designed Yeah, those. I think what you're talking about would be the uh, snake in the in the box, like a snake basket, or I think the... No, 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 not the snake basket. This is other one. Okay. It's got your name. Okay, on yeah, because you know what? I, I did give the rights. I sold the rights to Jimmy King from Mac Magic about eight, maybe nine years ago for for a, like an electronic snake basket, but they altered it to make it like an elephant in the in a trunk also where the where the trunk is inside and it goes up and down and it finds the selected playing card. Uh, so basically I had supplied them with a working prototype you know, and so we worked out a deal. Yeah. So, so they carried that. And then throughout the years, you know, I've built different things and I, I, I wholesale them to, you know, you know, to different magic companies, uh, Hocus Pocus in California. Uh, I, I can't think of, there was, there were several other ones that carried a lot of my things also. Yeah, and I see you also had uh, books. You put out a couple of Yeah, you know what? Books. Way back. This one here, yeah, it's been about magic? 19, 20 years. You know what? I, I basically sold uh, uh, electronic magic for the average Joe is is what I called it. And it was volume. So after I wrote the first one, I figured, well, I have a lot more ideas. So I wrote volume two, three, and I think it went to four. And I even came up with a spooky uh a version where like it tells how to build a spooky type of electronic magic and that came out in the early 2000s maybe 2003 2004 you know and they and they sold very well i mean throughout the whole world and everything and so basically i just explained and i and i draw the i i drew the pictures just what i was telling you about taking apart or dissecting the rc cars and uh so yeah that worked out that worked out very well each each booklet was about 35 pages and I can draw pretty good. I went to art school when I was a kid, so I I basically did all the illustrations. Well, there is the the magic trick I'm talking about is called Horizon. Oh, Horizon. okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. By, by Chuck Caputo, and it's sold by Martin Magic. Oh, I, for, I forgot all the about that. Okay. Two hundred and ninety-five dollars for that. And then there's another one here called um, Electronic Close-Up Case by Chuck. Okay, Caputo. I forgot about that. And it has like a clock, and you also apparently did some stop time ghost uh, right, clock right. as well. <laughs> it's got your name on the thing here. It's all over <laughs> the internet. I'm very yeah, surprised. I forgot all about that. Yeah, the 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 uh, Horizon was a was a, a a block trick. It was a it was a beautiful wooden box you open up, and there's four different square blocks like uh, rectangular blocks. They're numbered one to four. And so you could be out of the room or whatever, and a spectator can take out, you know, whichever block or blocks they want, and they could close the lid. When you come in, you know, without touching the box, you can still discern what numbered blocks were taken from the from the box itself. But yeah, yeah, that was at least fifteen, you know, like at least fifteen years ago. That's why I forgot all about it. <laughs> yeah, I was also looking at your. I saw a page of Facebook where uh, you had no beard or anything. You got that long <laughs> hair. Uh, it reminded me of oh, Chico man. and the Man, kind of from the 1970s. Yeah, I thought. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it it's crazy. You gotta. So look at this. Not only is Chuck Caputo a man of mystery, but he's so mysterious. 
He doesn't even know his own self. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about all. I forgot all about you know, that stuff. Yeah, I do remember the hair though. I had long. I had long. You know what? I'm Italian, and I had very long, uh, wiry hair. You know, <laughs> and uh, I think I think I got hair that's waving. No, it's uh, waving goodbye a little bit. You know, I'm 57 years old. But <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a video of you uh, demonstrating Mac Magic, and I mean, you're you're all over the internet. I'm no wonder. You know. I was kind of blown by the fact that I put last night another video. I don't, I don't know what the um, the amount of uh, hits on it, but the one that you did is already over 4,500 wow. uh, with the demonstration, I think okay. the unboxing you did. And, and then we had one, which is the, um, I did, I, I think it's a tour of the, I call it the House of the Unusual Cave or, okay. or Man Cave. And... <laughs> And it, it, you know, whatever. So it was getting quite a few hits, but I put um, hashtag, of course, after Joe here uh, threw the the wrench at me and said, hey, Eddie, you know, I think you're uh, you're doing it all wrong. When you put a hashtag, I didn't realize you got to keep all the words t together. And I was putting them separate. So I was really, when I put Chuck, it was actually pointing out oh. to a thing called Chuck. Uh, you know, not to, to like our site and stuff. Well, look at this. The as of last night, 19 hours ago, the main video called Hidden Treasures, House of the Unusual takes you on a tour into the unknown. Hashtag Chuck Caputo Magic. It's at 397 wow. views in 19 hours. So I think I think we found the uh and I actually use for the thumbnail, I use one of the original Robert Houdin posters, the one that it says he's in the um Devil's Castle or something castle. You know what I'm talking about? It has like yeah, I believe witch. so. Uh -huh. it, it's a really nice, a nice poster. In fact, I, I got to definitely put that in our collection so we can yeah. sell that. It's a That's really, a really nice poster. poster. It, it's phenomenal. And now, according to the unboxing Chuck Caputo video, is right now at uh, 4,230 wow. views. It's really very interesting. Joe, you've been quiet, Joe. What's up, brother? Come on in, Joe. I'm just I'm listening to all the uh I'm listening to the discussion here. I'm like, you know, on the uh you know, you know, one of the audience members kind of just all kind of sucking up all the information and everything about the uh especially about the automatrons, because I didn't know too much about the Turk and Eddie was telling me about it the other day and um it, it kind of caused me to really look into some you know kind of like where did magic start in some ancient magic and i found out that it, it kind of came you know in around you know i guess a lot of researchers and all that have found that you know it might have started in egypt maybe around 2700 exactly right. yep. bc and you know, with what was it? Maybe like, uh, what was it like a ball trick or something like that? Chuck, are you familiar with? Yeah, cups with and how balls it might have go started? back around that time. You know, like where the magician would hide a ball under a cup and it would travel from one cup to the other, or would jump from it would jump from underneath the cup okay. to his pocket. Yeah, but you, you know what? You're exactly right. I like the way you guys do your uh, research. Eddie's a very good detective. He brought up stuff that I completely forgot about. Wow, that was uh... <laughs> well, yeah. I tell you what, it was it was really kind of it was really interesting to because 
you know, I, I, I've always been interested in, you know, kind of like, you know, medieval times and you had the, the court gestures, jesters and all that who, who did their, um, you know, who did their, their comedy act and all that. But I'm wondering, you know, how much magic was, you know, cause they, they always wanted the comedy to make them laugh, but did, did anybody like during the, the medieval times or dark ages, you know, these rulers, did they want, you know, magic tricks or anything well, like that? I'll tell, you, I'll tell of... you what, let's back up a little bit before the dark ages. Uh, you know what, like during the Greek and Roman empire, okay. Uh, particularly the Roman empire, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of these buildings that were that were built. You know, these fantastic buildings, and uh, uh, you know what? Basically, they mm-hmm. were they were designed to actually scare scare the people that come in. Uh, you, you know, like this, it was it was designed in such a clever way that once the sunlight comes in at a certain time of the day, it would it would give the appearance that that a statue would be floating, and uh, things of that nature. So it would actually scare the people who came who uh, came in, and so wow. they would actually give money. Okay, like they would, they would, you know, you know, pay the uh, god or gods so they wouldn't get harmed and so forth. Yeah. So if you do, if you if you do some research on that, yeah, it was actually used by very very clever uh, Roman, uh, you know, uh, designers of of these buildings. Where where it, you know, once the sun came in, it would illuminate certain parts of the room. It would make objects look like they're floating. Uh, people would roll stone balls up on the inside the ceiling to make it sound like thunder. I mean, it would like literally scare the heck out of these people, you know? So, yeah. So, you know what? So uh, magic was used actually to actually instill fear and actually collect money from people too. <laughs> well, now, now it seems like a lot of the, a lot of, even in the, the, uh, you know, BC times that there was a lot of, you know, I guess the, the European area at the time, you know, you had uh, Egypt, you had That's Roman, right. Greek. They all had you know, some right. form of, of magic going on. So, you know, what is it generally, I guess, accepted that magic originated in I, I would Egypt? say so, yeah. You know what? Yeah, I would I would assume so because we're talking, you know, 5,000 B.C. there if you if you if you uh, if you trace the lineage. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say so, you know, uh, but mm-hmm. then again, there was Chinese magicians as well. I mean, so all across the world, they all had some form of magic that they did, you know, and, uh, you know what, it's a, it's a fascinating history. If you do look into it, which, which I see you are, you know, and, uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, but like I said, even going up right. to the Greek and Roman days, I mean, it, you know, it was amazing. Uh, but then, but then up into the, uh, you know, up into the dark ages, I think everything, everything fell apart there, but, uh, Right, and and I I like to study a lot of like you know pagan and, and witchcraft uh, histories and all that, and I seen that magic was incorporated with a, a lot of that too, and a lot of like the uh, the occult studies and the um the different orders that that people would join. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, it, it's kind of thinking, you know, is that where a lot of our myths and legends might have come from? Like you said, you know, the um you would walk into a building and it would look like you know, a yep. god was was floating or something, and you know, people would pay their homage. So, was that you know? I wonder if you know some of that was incorporated into the myths because you know, still at that time, a lot of stuff was still word of mouth. So, if it was passed down, and that's where some of the pagan and witchcraft, you know, and and other esoteric Absolutely. practices came from, was mm-hmm. you know, these actual these magic, you know, or these illusionary, me, you know, uh, let me say type something events. real quick. There, it's. When you know you were talking about building of, of buildings and stuff, Coral Castle in Florida is one of those where 
I guess when people put things like that and they hide it from the rest of the public, how it's done, the mystery grows bigger oh, than my life. Goodness. Uh, when you got a 100-pound yeah. guy, I forgot, Chuck, you know the story there, and he built this um, castle. That it's just, it's right, right absolutely up. phenomenal. I mean, you know what? If anybody, if any of the listeners have a chance to go to Coral Castle, it's it's in uh, it's in Homestead, Florida. You know what? Uh, my wife and I, last year, around this time, my, uh, my, my birthday is January 25th. So last January 25th, on my birthday, we were in Coral Castle, and I've been fascinated you know what? I've been fascinated by this place, Joe, for 40 years. Since 1980, I used to watch a TV show called In Search Of. It was hosted by uh, Leonard Nimoy, who was Spock from oh, Star yeah. Trek. And one of the stories he had was about yep. Coral Castle. So there's so there's a guy. He was about 98 pounds. His name was Edward Leedscannon. And he was a Latvian uh, person who came from Latvia. And uh, he bought this slab of land that everybody made fun of. It was just bedrock. And he cut and hoisted up these big gigantic you know stones that range from nine tons to 30 tons he built a castle he carved a rocking a bunch of rocking chairs uh the front door is perfectly balanced where a little child can move it with open the door with her hand it's just it's just unbelievable nobody knows even modern engineers have no idea how this little man built it uh i mean i mean there is speculation of course like up, up in his workshop he has hoists he has he has come-alongs and things of that nature, but I don't care how, I don't care what type of hoist you have or whatever. You know, one man that weighs under 100 pounds is not going to generate enough force to hoist hoist up a 30-ton piece right, of coral. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. I also heard. I also heard story. You know, theories exactly. that he used. You know, you sound know. and harmonics to. Yeah, but th- you know, that's what happens. It's and, a mystery, so, so wanna, we don't know. They attach a lot of which maybe you'll go, that's how he did it. But you know what, though? Things like that happen in, in what you're saying. That's what you reminded me of when you said back in the early centuries, you would get people building castles. And in fact, you know, this is kind of funny. I was watching prior to starting tonight, a show in the, in the uh, Smithsonian Channel, uh, which is um, an American aristocrat showing, you know, castles in England and stuff. Some lady who married into one of the of the Duchess over there, whatever, and uh, non Duchess, but one of the, you know, I mean, the, the sure. aristocrat people sure. down there. And she inherited this castle, but she went to visit another castle that apparently the guy who owns the castle with his wife and a couple of children live in the castle. The castle has caught fire three times in the last uh, 800 years. And in 1975 was the last fire. And they were saying how they had to move to the basement. Where they, but the funny thing is, he's got 50,000 wow. acres. And the bizarre thing with this and all the castle is that they have a castle that only a portion of the castle is open to tourists because the other portion is still like in disarray and under, you know, they're still trying to repair it. And the funny thing about it is they don't have no money to maintain the castle. And, you know, it's like uh, they have a, I think they they say it's the largest archival uh, book section Mm -hmm. of England that goes back to the 13th century. And, um, they have books there that said that sometimes a page alone will cost over $200 to preserve wow. just one page. So they have books there that can cost anywhere from three to $4,000 a book. And they put them on a list, to-do list, as to when they're going to be able to preserve them. And I was saying to myself, well, first of all, to, to live in an actual castle that, 
you know, everything from possible ghosts to whatever comes with it, it's, you know, I got to hand it to them. That's the first thing. The second thing, it's true. They have all the original treasures there. And they were saying how in 1975, they lost a lot of the original treasures. But what I found it fascinating is when you see the people that actually live there and own it, they become more real when they're trying to finance things by raising funds. Uh, you know right. what I'm saying? Sure. Just the repair of 1975 cost, I think, over, what was it, $8 million or something dollars? Or And they were saying how they had to, like the guy said he went to the roof, he would grab a piece of stone and carve in the, the signature because he, he holds like 30 different titles, the Duke of this, the Dutch, whatever, the Duke of whatever, you know, all these different titles. And he said that he would start selling parts of the castle <laughs> and they were able to raise enough to actually, you know, and then they they reached out to the rest of England, who a lot of people, because of the fact that it's a symbol to their country, um, they raised the funds to fix it. But the thing is, it's still in, in repair. It's still being repaired sections. And it just made the people more real, you know, more down to earth. Like, you know what? They're real people now. This multi-millionaires who don't even have a dime. Right. To, you know what I mean? It, just, it made them more real, but I, I thought it was fascinating. A nice little show there, and I just mentioned it because we were talking about, you know, how you said back in the day they did such things. Uh, go ahead, Joe. We know your other part. <laughs> There's just, I mean, it's always finding something to to, to research and and think <laughs> about. I mean, it's it's all always something and. And you and um, were you speechless for a second there? (laughs) You know, I'm trying to think. There was something I I was thinking I wanted to ask uh, Chuck last night, and I, I, now it's totally like left my head. And you know, (laughs) once the podcast's over, I'll think about it. It, And it's something to do with. with I I think you were um, talking about that. We were going to talk about the influences of what happened, those magic during the old days. How would it have influenced us modern day people, magicians and stuff throughout the ages? Wasn't that the question? Yeah, but there was there was there was, there was something. Um, it was the um, oh, what do you call it? Mm-hmm. I guess the Hindu oh, rope trick. Right. You, you know what? I, I I've always been been fascinated by that, and when I was you know kind of researching into the ancient um, magic and all of that, and I I ran across again the, the the Hindu rope trick, and I seen some some videos on YouTube of people trying to, mm-hmm. you know, people explaining, you know, how it's, how it's done and all that. But um, can you give us a little bit more background on, on the, the, the Hindu rope trick? Cause I guess it's, it's one of the more popular Absolutely. ones that goes, you know back, what the Hindu you know, rope, rope trick is a, is a, is a, is a staple of magic. And there's been different performers who have performed this. Um, you know, basically what it is, 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 is a basket that you open up and there's a, large rope in there and you throw it up in the air and it sticks it stands so it stays straight and you get a little boy assistant that helps you now you know so this originated in india obviously so 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 the little boy is dressed in the indian attire you know with baggy pants and a vest and so forth almost like a genie and he 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 basically gets on the rope and he climbs all the way up and then a big puff of smoke appears and he just disappears and the rope van uh, uh, the rope drops back down into the basket and uh, yeah, so so there's been different versions of it, but they're really old. I mean, the uh, uh, the things I've read about it, nobody really knows exactly what the methods were that some of these magicians used. So yeah, that's a very mysterious trick. I mean, and it goes back many many uh, years. 
I, yeah, I, have, I, I, I've read I have a little, no, I have a little, oh, go ahead, Eddie. Indian rope trick and I'll, I'll tell you really quick what it is and what it was. If you don't mind, unless you want to, I got two seconds. You, go ahead. You talk first, Joe. Well, no, I, go th- ahead. I think I'm going to add to what I, Chuck I, had to say. There's a book by Peter Lamont. It's called the Indian rope trick, the rise of the Indian mm-hmm. rope trick. And it's entitled how a spectacular hoax became mm-hmm. history. And now what it is, is that the Indian rope trick, even though magicians have tried to reproduce mm-hmm. it for ages and they've had right. their own versions, the actual uh, completed trick is when the Indi- when the kid goes up into the air, he disappears. And then supposedly the magician climbs the rope after him. And then the pieces of the kid po- fall down to the floor. So in other words, he cuts him in pieces, the head, the arms. And then when it's all in pieces, the magician comes back down the rope he covers the kid up, and then lo and behold, the mm-hmm. kid is all in one piece. Okay. Apparently, the way I was reading that book with from Peter Lamont, which was put out, I think, uh, back in, I don't know the exact time of publication. I'm actually holding the book. I have two copies of this book. Um, as I was reading it, it started when it, back in the early centuries when uh, some guy was uh, kind of like uh, P.T. Barnum. He was able to convince a bunch of people that were inside the... Now, this book was published in mm-hmm. 2004. Uh, he was able to convince a bunch of people that they had just experienced the Indian rope trick. And it was basically a hoax, but it, it throughout the ages, it became a legend. And this book really explains the origination mm-hmm. of the trick, how it was done, what cost the, all the magicians in the world to keep searching to try to do it. But it is like Chuck said... A, a, it's probably the most uh, sought after, most mysterious trick in magic. Yeah, definitely. State. Yeah, because I, I've seen a lot of, um, you know, uh, old, uh, you know, paintings and all that of it, and it's usually somebody outside with, you know, the kid climbing up into a, a cloud or something. It always kind of amazed me, and it didn't seem like, you know, there's a lot of you know, illusion and unexpected and unexplained stuff in, in magic. But, you know, if you're standing in a group of people and, you know, this kid's only going up, you know, 20 feet or something and disappearing in a cloud and the rope comes down, you know, there, there has to be something more to that. And in my mind is that there had to be something less to it because it, it didn't seem probable e- even – you know, through illusion or anything that, that this could be done with a group of, of people. I'm going to try to see if I can get a copy of the book to you guys, because I do have, like I said, two copies. And I'm going to tell you guys one thing about this. Um, I mean, this book is phenomenal. It, it really explained a lot. I started reading, having finished it. That's why I can't really put out much information. But I guess it teaches how a modern day, uh, not a charlatan, but uh a modern-day P.T. Barnum can convince <laughs> the general population of, of a lot. In fact, if you guys haven't seen Penn and Teller travel to India in one of their episodes, it's like a two-hour episode, where they travel to India, stayed there for like three, four weeks in search right, of the right. Indian rope trick. Okay, and that was, a, I mean, I saw that. That was really, but at the end of the day, uh, actually the conclusion, I think, was, if I'm correct, I could be wrong in this, the conclusion was that it was a hoax and, and apparently that somehow it rolled the You're exactly right. time and became, you know, reality. 
Um, and, you know, having said that, not to change the conversation, but Chuck, I wanted to ask you concerning another magic trick that's uh, named to you. It's a piece of wood and it has one, two, three on it. And it has like three little cups and three round wooden balls on top. One dark uh, wood, the other one light wood, and the other one totally blue. Do you remember <laughs> that one? Well, I'm trying to think, Eddie. I, I, I actually don't. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, huh. It's a, it's, it's according, it's from, uh, oh gosh, what is uh, the same merch magic, whatever it is. And it's got your name on it, the Chuck Caputo, uh, whatever. Now I lost the, the title to it, but uh, it's by a Martin Magic Collection. Okay. Is, is, is it, is it and, three, uh, is it three balls, three round? Dip? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, that's, yeah, yes, that's a version yes. of Mento, Mento Match is what I called it. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the original version is called Colorama. And uh, basically, it's yes, yeah, three different colored balls that are that are placed on on a little stand, and they're and uh, each of the balls are uh, placed in front of a number. There's a, there's you know, there's a number one, two, and three, and you turn your you basically tell the spectator to move the balls around wherever they want, and and without you even looking, you can tell you know what what the positioning of the balls are. It's a very clever principle. It's it's not electronic, but it uh, but it does take some thought. I mean, you have to have a clear mind to do this. And, and the thing that's funny about this effect is I explained it like at different lectures, how to do this to like uh, different magicians and they still didn't understand it. Uh, it's actually, yeah, it's actually kind of difficult to learn. And I'd <laughs> say that even if you explain it to somebody, probably about 90% of the people will not comprehend it. It's a very unusual effect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I tell you what, I tell you what, Chuck, I, I've watched sometimes I'll, I'll you know, dig down the rabbit hole of, of YouTube and watch some of these uh, these uh, shows on how, you know, ma it's like Magic Explained and all that. You yeah. know, where they'll go through, you know, some of the, they'll show you the trick and then they'll explain. And I tell you what, it is, I, I like, sometimes I got to smack my forehead. It's like, sometimes it's so easy. Like when yeah. they explain it, it's, you know, the concept Absolutely. is so easy on, on how it's, it's done and then, and it just goes to show how easily you know we're tricked. But then you know they get into some of these uh, tricks or you know illusions or tricks, you know whatever you want to call them. Oh, and some of them are just so exactly. complicated and do with you know math and different other stuff. And I'm like, oh, exactly. I'm like, how do people even think? I of think this you stuff? have a good point there, <laughs> you know, uh, Joe, because I think the future of magic is high technology. I think it's high tech. I think we're getting into programs things of that nature i think that i think within the next five years or so we're going to see some really high-tech uh -huh. magic of course you don't uh, display it. i mean you, you don't display it as high-tech magic but, but i think when holograms come into play i think that's going to be the next move because these things are uh, these things are getting developed right it as is. we speak it is. yeah it is you know something guys let me tell you something it's sometimes what joe said made me laugh right now and i'll tell you why a year ago, I'm, I'm looking at YouTube and some young guy, magician, uh, he takes a plank of wood, like a two by four. I mean, he just did a frame. It's about six feet tall and two feet wide. And he stands in front of this wood and then he picks up. So he's standing behind the, the plank of wood. He picks up a, a, a curtain, brings it up, and then he puts the curtain down. And lo and behold, he went through the solid piece of wood. It drove me nuts. I must have played it like 40 times. And I'm like, how the hell did he do this, man? 
And then all of a sudden I called Dave and I'm like, you know what, Dave, man, you got to help me out here, bro. Because it, it just drives me crazy when I couldn't know. That's when right, I right. was using the four fingers. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's kind of like that. And what Joe just said that sometimes there was another, there's a trick. It's a, it's a card trick that it's on the computer mm -hmm. and you pick a card and no matter what, the computer <laughs> always knows which card you pick. And that drove me nuts. I'm like, okay, I got this. How am I gonna? How does this work? And again, Dave solved me, you know, solved the problem for me. But some of those things, especially now yeah, with technology, definitely. drives you nuts. I, and and Joe, B, Joe yeah, yeah, I I think too. It's 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 you know the future is technology, but I think that just like this is kind of like everything. You know, we've touched on it before. Everything comes around in circles, and I think you know. I don't ever think that, um, you know, traditional magic, right. I guess, yep. for lack of a better term, will, will ever go away. But but, but you're going to start seeing, yeah, like, you know, like you said, a lot more technology involved. Yeah, who in knows? It. And I don't know <laughs> if that'll be for the better or for the worse. I guess <laughs> well, that'll be for, you know, future generations to tell us. But, you know, in my my opinion, I, I right. you know, some slight you know, little of old, I, know, so I, I prefer all the the old, you know, yeah, sleight of hand stuff, you know, the, the horror stuff. And, and I, it, it's just cool. And, and, and I do like to, just like anybody else, you know, I'd like to be tricked, but I also like to learn about it. And it's not just for, you know, to kind of say, Oh, now I know how it's done. But I, I, I kind of like to know, you know, why it was done this way. And, and are you, right. are you tricking my, my brain? Are you tricking my senses or is there, some type of you know math to it that i don't know about so it's kind of like the learning process too and you know some of exactly. them i i sure. i just don't want to learn because i just want to you know stay amazed to it. And I, you know i'm like eddie you know i i've watched something a <laughs> hundred times i'm like i gotta find out you know <laughs> how that done. oh that was but hey guys great, we, we've great had a great conversation oh, and some great points and we're we're yeah, we're we're at the end here. So I want to thank everybody out there for for joining us on House of the Unusual podcast. Uh, definitely head over to our YouTube channel. We've got some amazing videos by uh, Chuck Caputo on there, and you could also head back in time and check out some of our video casts as well. And while you're doing that, check out houseoftheunusual.com. We've got a free email list there, a free forum. You know, sign up and you could stay up to date with, you know, what we're doing. Uh, you could give us some show ideas, meet some like-minded people. And we are just a growing community of of just individuals who, who love this stuff, who love magic, horror, sci-fi, uh, mail-order novelties. And if you want to be a guest on the show, you know, send us an email or um, let us know on one of the, uh, the forums on on the webpage and tell us what you'd like to talk about and why you'd like to be on. We're always looking for, for, you know, different types of discussions. So with that said, uh, Chuck, thank you. Thanks thank for you stopping so much by for having again. me. I it's always a great it. conversation having you. Eddie, thank you for, absolutely. Eddie, thank you for stopping by. Always full of information for everybody out there. And again, want to thank everybody for listening to us. Find us on your favorite uh, platform. Give us a, uh, a good review and support us any way possible so that we could keep doing this and bringing you quality okay, thank you. Uh, discussions every Bye -bye. week. So thanks, Take guys. Care, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, what's up? What's up, buddy? Sorry I'm a little late there. My uh, 
Couldn't find my uh, iPad. I had it left it in the car, man. I'm like, where is it? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, because I came this morning and I stayed in my house. And my grandson was begging me to be over there. But, I've, uh, you know, I, I was tired. So I went to bed and woke up. So uh, we're waiting on Chuck now. He should be on any second. Okay. I'm just getting... Yeah, Chuck today went earlier to take his wife to the hospital. So I think they finished the third thing. So. He's good. I spoke to him at nine o'clock. He's good to be on. So he should be coming on. I just sent him the link. Okay. I was going to get Teresa Massa, but I kind of called her later. I think she went to bed. So that was fine. Cause I mean, that's really, I don't know if she's going to really add too much to this. Yeah. She don't need to be on. I mean, yeah. I don't kind of always, you always hope of having that uh, spokesperson, but you know what? I think Chuck has become that. So I don't think we yeah, need to. Yeah. I, I would say Chuck's a lot. A lot better, and he he's along the lines of what the podcast, you know, was going towards. You know, magic and mystery stuff, and exactly, you know, all that. So, yeah, Chuck was Chuck was perfect. Yeah, let me try to tell him because uh, he's probably wondering. Man, I ate some Chinese food right now. I wish I did it, bro. Ooh, gosh, it tastes like shit. You know, when the grease, you feel like your throat. Oh, yeah. Eddie? Yeah, you got it? You guys went on late tonight. No, no, no. I, I sent it to you. We're waiting. Okay. No, I didn't get it yet. Did you send it to the right address? Yeah. Well, yeah, let, let me send you. I'll send you another link right now. Yeah, I'm on. I'm online. Hold on, buddy. Hold on. Uh-huh. No, we, I started five minutes late because I left the uh, computer in the in the car. And I was going crazy looking for it in the house. I'm like, what that? Where is it? Where's my? And my wife is like, I haven't touched it. I go, it's in my bag. Where is it? Always blaming the wife. Yeah. Hold on a second. I'm in my inbox right now. I know, Chuck. You're like the one that would tell me if you got it. No. What the heck? Oldtimemagic at yahoo.com. Yeah. Hold on a second. I thought there might have been a problem. Old time magic. Yeah, check computer. At yahoo.com. I sent you three, e- three emails. Well, you've had it before, so it will tell me. I'm in my inbox. Refresh it. Get out of it and go back in again. No, I don't have it. I'm in my inbox. I went out of it and went back in. Interesting. I'm checking under spam. I don't have it. That's send it to the right address. No, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to exit out of... I'm going to send it directly from... Um, I'm going to respond to one of your emails right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, because... I know it's it's kind of weird. You should have gotten it now. No. I don't know what's going on. I've never had this problem before. Old time magic.
It happens, man. I got it. I got it. You got it? Okay, no, no, because if not, I was sending you another one right now. Uh, sometimes it's not you're doing, it's just sometimes you talk, sometimes you send yourself an email and that's what happens. It, it takes a while to kick back in. It's no, no hurry. This is pre-recorded, so it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's not. We say 1030 for, I mean, 10, when it's, when it's live in Zoom, it's different because it starts transmitting the moment you go live. Okay. Could you guys hear me? Okay. Oh my gosh! Fantastic, brother. Okay, there we are. All right, I'll hang the phone up now. Okay. Okay, good. You guys can hear me. Yeah, try, try to see. Uh, your computer went eight, eight for a second there, but it could be just make sure that you have a good signal wherever you're standing. Okay, I'm close to the router. I'm not far from it. Yeah. Uh, listen, Chuck. Uh, I got a question. Do you? Um, I know you sold me a lot of things. Can I buy your voice? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> the man with the radio voice. Yeah, the man. Yeah, he's he's got the Wolfman Jack here voice. Man, I love voice. <laughs> you know, you know what's so funny about it? Like, and this real quick before we start. Uh, if you saw the magic trick I, I showed you, uh, Joe, that I sent you when he was doing the floating skull magic trick. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe the bottom. You know, the voice that the skull says that was his. I was like, that was what? that was my voice. Yeah, <laughs> oh my god, that was good, man. I was like, damn, I uh, thought you had like recorded on the internet. Uh, I, how'd you like that, Joe? Did you think that trick was pretty cool? Yeah, very cool, very cool. <laughs> well, Chuck, one thing I need to ask you, and this is important, it's kind of well, you know what, Chuck? Um, I don't know, I probably ask you, I'll ask you in the in the show. Let's yeah, we'll say it, save it for the show. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'll ask yep. you because it's, it's good. All right, we're going to get started here. Ready? Three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky. With me, as always, is Eddie Guevara. And tonight, again, we have our special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, the mystery Chuck Caputo. Chuck, okay. what's up, brother? Hey, not too much. It's fantastic being here. It's always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. Definitely, definitely happy to to have you back. And the all of our, our fans and everybody out in podcast land seems to uh like you on here. So what uh me and Eddie are gonna do is we're going to pack up. We're gonna leave the house and leave everything to you and you uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll we'll just collect the we'll just collect the interest as we're sitting on a beach <laughs> sipping saladas or something. <laughs> hey, definitely. We're just gonna. I'm already packed up and out the door, man. That's it, Eddie. What's new over at House of the Unusual? Um, tell you what, man. One of the newest things is, is kind of like um, not just new. It just blew my mind. Is the, when we talk about the legendary Chuck Caputo, I didn't realize how much of a legend he really was. It, it, in fact, it's more detailed than I thought. Um, I was talking to David Harvestad about a day or two ago, and we're talking about the, because, you know, as we know, Chuck has joined the force here, and Chuck has now got his own magic line coming out and, and all this stuff soon. And, well, I was looking up a few things on how to get one of the projects he just recently did, which is one of the best tricks ever. And, you know, manufactured and stuff. And uh, the fact that Dave has a couple of uh, trademarks to his name of famous companies, I was contemplating using maybe one of his or, or you know, just for the manufacturing of the magics. Now, I, I, I don't know how it was that David finds a magazine from about two years ago 
And he sends me a picture and it's got an article and lo and behold, the magazine or book, whichever it was, uh, it's called Yankee something has uh, Chuck Caputo inside. Oh, I'm familiar with that. That's the Yankee magic collector. It's up in, uh, I believe, Boston, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I have a quick question to ask you. Do you have a copy of that magazine, Chuck? I do. I have it in one of my bookshelves. Uh, I'd have to look for it. But yes, I do, as a matter of fact. huh? Because I need to get that article. That article is phenomenal. And the thing that blew me away is, you know, Chuck has decided to uh, not only being the person he is, uh, I guess, as a person just beyond real, you know, he's uh, like they say, bigger than life. Um, he decided to let me hold on to a couple of his uh, magic possessions. And one of them are um, a couple of days ago, I was uh, reading an article. Well, actually, I, there were, I seen an, um, a, 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 a kind of a show. It's called Oddities. Or there was a show on television. I think it's still on, by the way, but it's called Obscura. Absolutely. And, and the, the show itself had an, uh, a, a page of the weirdest things and stuff out there. And there was a link to a video from John. Am I pronounced John Guzman or something like that? The, the older guy that owns the... Uh, oh, yes, I believe dump. I believe so, yeah. What's his name? Uh, you know what? I can't remember, but it, it possibly might have been John. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, well, anyway, well, the guy, he's uh, he's got one, uh, one device or one particular puppet that was invented by uh, uh, Robert Houdin, the, the Houdini took his name from back in 1840-something. And anyway, the second part of the show showed a, a chess player, which anybody who's ever written, I'm not written, who's ever read a book about either automatons, robots, or magic has got to have heard about the chess player, the, the Turkish chess player that they invented in 17, I think it was 1740-something or 1760-something that supposedly took on a lot of famous people and this chess player won. There's been over 800 books written on the subject, and as much as three movies have been made on it, uh, and you know, and to this day we really don't know how the chess player worked due to the fact that the original burned down in the 1850s in a museum fire. Now, what I found phenomenal, which it happens with Chuck all the time, when you said the name "A Man of Mystery," that you know that not only entitles a title, but a truth in reality. And I'll, the reason I'm saying that is because Chuck, lo and behold, and, and this is the third time he does it, when he first <laughs> uh, spoke with me back in January 15th, he sends me an email and says, oh, uh, I see you're selling the book on how to make the Leon Haunted House. I had made one several years ago. And he sends me the, which is right now, it's the only video on the internet of the subject, of anybody actually doing a display with the Great Leon Haunted House. Then, and lo and behold, uh, I'm talking another a week later. I'm reading about the Josephine skull and all this stuff. And I go, "Hey, Chuck, did you?" He goes, "Oh, uh, you know." He sends me a video link, which was funny. It actually happened before I even spoke with him. He must already, you know, through his telep tel telepathy, uh, read my mind over <laughs> over the air, and uh, he sends me the link to the one he had made. So I'm like, I'm just reading about the skull about two or three days ago. And here, Chuck had already done one and he had performed with it. So then I had the, the other thing that blows my mind is I, I, I send him a link to the Turkish player. And he says, well, Eddie, um, 
a year ago I made one, a tabletop one. Here it is. And I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I've decided, I said, Chuck, all that stuff that's been coincidental, whatever, being the man of mystery that you are, I need it for you to, to, you know, somehow get them in my hands. And we worked out and you know what, that's exactly what's happening. Now, the reason I asked you for that article is because I noticed that the, the, the Turkish chess player appears in that 19 or 2019 or 18 mm-hmm. magazine, Yankee Magician. Right. Um, anyway, I, I've been going on eBay trying to find it. I'm glad you have a copy because Dave has a copy. And, uh, you know, I, I need to get it from either or of you guys to really, you know, either scan the, the article out um, it doesn't really matter, you know, if I have the magazine up, but I need the article scanned and I need it scanned at a very high resolution because that's going to add providence to the actual device you're sending me. Right, right. And, and I thought it was phenomenal. So, yeah, so the man of mystery continues. Now, one question I have for you, Chuck, how are you able to mentally read my mind before I even think of things and get them done? <laughs> I don't know, Eddie. It is, it is kind of strange. <laughs> I don't understand it. But you know what? I love to read, you know, and I, and I read about antique magic props, you know, I, you know such as the Josephy talking skull. The, the, the Turk was invented by, by an Austrian, uh, a, uh, like an inventor. I wouldn't say he's a magician, but his last name was Von Kemplin. And uh, this thing, this thing toured the world. And uh, you know what? It beats uh, this this uh, chess player beat people like Ben Franklin. He beat um, you know other other well known people at uh, chess actually. You know, and uh, no one really knows how it works, but this thing was life size. And the, the the cabinet that it sat on, they would open up one door at a time. They would open one door, close it, open the other door to show that it was empty. Uh, one major theory is that there was an individual in there uh, that. Uh, that was he wasn't he was like an amputee uh, he didn't he didn't have any legs and and he was a master chess player and so when they opened one door up it'd be on the opposite side when they closed it there was a rack or a sliding tray type thing he would slide over to the other side and he would he would work the turk's uh, arm with certain levers and so forth and there was some type of a viewing device where he can see what the moves were and uh he he beat just about everybody he played I mean, it was, it was, it was really amazing. People didn't know how this thing worked. And like I said, he beat Ben Franklin. I believe he played Napoleon and there's a few other well, very well-known individuals that were, that were very upset that they lost to him actually. (laughs) Well, my, my question, now that you said about, you know, you talked about that, the guy who has spent uh, this guy, John, I think his name is John. I'm actually looking right. Trying to, trying to find um, yeah, his, his information. Yeah, his name is John Gahan. I think you're talking about him. Yeah, yeah John, that's him. Right. That's him to you. I don't have to look anymore. Thanks again. Again, you read my <laughs> mind and you figure, let me get it before he does. That guy, John, he said he spent over 35 years making what he believes to be the original. Mm-hmm. And he's duplicated everything possible on it. Um, that is, it's it's just amazing. Now, what really surprises me when you, right now you blew my mind when you said that, uh, the little guy, uh, mm-hmm. Napoleon, played with him. And that's phenomenal. And they never found out exactly how it worked. No. There was no actual, they just have speculation. Now, I know you made one of those, but I have a question. Have you ever considered trying to make a copy of uh, Antonio? What's the name of the book? Mom? Wow, that would be rough. Yeah, that was by Robert Houdin. It was Antonio, Antonio Diavolo. And he was a he was a gymnast basically. He was a trapeze artist, 
and it was all watch work. It was just unbelievable. I mean, if you do search this, there there is a few uh, people who did uh, reproduce these. Uh, I I believe there's one or two people who did, and uh, it's just amazing. I mean, this this uh, this little guy, this little man, he puts on a trapeze and he swings it back and forth, and uh, the guy would hang by his arms, he'd hang by one arm, he'd flip over, and he'd hang by his feet. I mean, it was all watch work. It was just unbelievable. And uh, you know, from and from my understanding, John somehow came about the the original one, and he restored. Shocked at what he found inside. I mean, I mean, like the advanced technology with the watch work was just unbelievable. See, see, Robert Houdin was a master watchmaker. Okay, and uh, so things that he made were all watch work. Uh, uh, but this, but this is probably one of the most complex pieces he ever made. Well, yeah, but you answered the question right there by being a. Uh... Uh, you know, being able to do watches and stuff. That's how he was able to right. do that, the balance. Exactly. Uh, I mean, what John, this guy John said, according to what he said, is that the original one, somehow, I forgot where it is, it, it landed in some museum or something, and one of the persons who inherited it was one of the founders of, uh, uh, not Fox Television, um, Warner Brothers okay. Television. And I think when the guy passed away or something like that, they donated or gave it to the Magic Castle. Mm -hmm. And that's where this guy, John, got it from. Now, he said he got it in pieces. And it took him about seven years to restore it to its original, you know, whatever. Right. Now, he's got it where it actually works. I mean, he's he had it on the, the, the skid there. How You know, it does the trapeze and stuff. And I'm like, wow, man. In fact, you know what it reminded me of, guys? It reminded me of you. Ever, you guys ever seen when we were little? They had that. Um, I think it was a fireman or something that climbs the right. ladder, and then, yeah, and then yeah. it would come back down. But there was also one that it was a big ladder and it was like a wooden toy, <clears throat> and and you would put on top of the ladder, uh, you would put I think it was like a little monkey or something, and it would start spinning down and go down the mm -hmm. ladder. Uh, you know which toy I'm talking I believe about? So yeah. Uh, and and also you know and I, it also reminded me of you remember those little things that had like a little gorilla and you squeeze the two uh, knobs on the side and it would do acrobats. oh that was cool I remember that yeah <laughs> yeah that's what that I mean I have a few of those actually but you know the impossible to me is kind of like I look at it as a challenge if it's impossible I'm gonna try to do it and. I asked you that because I kind of found it strange that you didn't tackle that, Chuck, because you built so many other things. And um, I think, honestly, to be honest with you, it's something that's tempting to try it. Uh, I mean, if we, I'm sure that if we look online or something, there will be some uh, way of, of, you know, some blueprints of how it really worked, or I'm sure it's not a magical secret, because I know David said to me, that it kind of see there's two things in my mind right now that are bothering me big time one is the how that device works and i know david said with strings and stuff i don't think there were strings there because uh i think it's more like watch work oh stuff, absolutely yeah i think the, i think the, the whole thing was watch work and even even the trapeze was a metal rod eddie i think at different parts pistons would actually pop out of the out of the trapeze and they would activate uh you know like different levers uh, you know, uh, control points in his arms, in his, you know, in his hands when he was gripping it. So I think there's, I think there's, there's in the trapeze bar itself and in the uh, little figure also. So there's two things going on there. Well, I mean, the, the whole thing is that we're looking at the 1840s. 
This guy built this in 1840. That's that's crazy. That's crazy. crazy. But the thing that also, and it's funny because ever since then, now I'm all of a sudden interested in Robert Houdin, which I've never really <laughs> cared for, you know? But um, <laughs> the thing that really, really throws me on that is that here it is. It does all those acrobats and all this stuff. And it really, really blew me away when it actually both hands went up oh, in the amazing. air. And, you know, I'm like, are you yeah. kidding me? You know, I'm looking at that. But then again, the other one is, I think we're talking with Thurston, the magician Thurston, where he had the lady float all over the audience. Mm-hmm. I started thinking I need to do some research on that because, you know, I, I have a, a, oh gosh, I got hundreds of magic books that probably have the explanations for the, a lot of those things. One of the magic books I have, you might be familiar with it, um, I think it shows Thurston in the front cover. It's like a 500-page book. And I bought it because I liked the front cover as a kid. I bought it in New York City in an old magic shop in Times Square, probably in 1975. And the book itself, I guess at that time, must have cost me like $19, which my parents bought it. I was surprised. <laughs> but um, it's a 500-page book, and it shows it's got a black cover, and it shows this guy like electric sparks coming out of his hands and there's a floating woman in front of him. Are you familiar with the magic? Book yeah, I believe about? I am. Yes. Yes. I do know what you mean. Yep. Yeah. I have a feeling that book inside would have an explanation how that, how that works. I need to find mine because I have no idea where it is, but that particular book I think has it because I remember as a kid, I mean, you're talking about a 10 yeah. year old kid. How the heck am I going to read a book with college level? <laughs> That's true. I just looked at it. And I think I read like two or three pages, was, and that was it. I couldn't. Yeah. But I've had it. I've had it with me. Gosh, uh, 40, 50 wow. years. Wow. You know? That's fantastic. Yeah. You know what? Uh, Robert Herdan was amazing. I mean, he was way ahead of his time, Eddie. You know, and uh, there, you know, there was no, uh, you know, uh, small uh, uh, motors to put into things at that time. You know, there were there was no electronics, so to speak, of it. And you know, in that time era, I mean, they came along much later. So yeah, he used all all watch works. Uh, one other item he made is called the pastry chef. And if you search this, I believe John Gauham also either had the original and he rebuilt it or actually made a duplicate of it. I was always fascinated by that. As a matter of fact, I kind of started one of these, but I never finished it. So sometime down the line, I may try to replicate, a, you know, a, you know, like a version of it. it. It won't be the exact same one, but it's a really neat one. If you if you do search this, you can find it. It's called the it's called the pastry chef. What it is is what it is. It's a beautiful ba- uh, bakery, like a French pastry bakery, and uh, so, and so basically, uh, there, there's a little chef that comes out the front door, you know, with a tray on his hand, and and he has like a a menu, and it has uh, maybe like five or six different types of pastries for the spectator to choose. So so the spectator will basically circle one of the pastries and place it on the tray, and the chef will nod his head and take it back inside the 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 the, uh, the bakery itself, and when he's in there. You can uh, you can see him at the table uh, with a rolling pin, like rolling out the dough and so forth. And then uh, within a minute or so, he he pops back out the door and he has the pastry that you circled on his tray. Uh, it's uh, it's a beautiful beautiful effect, and I and I have the framework for it. I actually built built the uh, bakery, and I have a few of the components, uh, but I did never finish it. So that would probably be the next thing that I would attempt to build, if it's even possible. You know. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll accomplish it. You know something I want to tell you, Chuck and, and Joe? 
I was looking the uh, the other night when I was interested. There's a museum for Robert Houdin. It's in Bl Blyos. I have no idea where that is, but I think it's happening it's in France. France that's right? correct. Is that when you get next to it, like snakes come out of the window? Uh, who knows? Like that? that would be cool to visit it, though, because uh, see, that's where he that's where he lived in Blois, France, and uh, and that's where his, his burial site is. He has a beautiful he has a beautiful burial site. If you if you Google it, like you'll see his tombstone. It's fantastic. But yeah, that's uh, well, that's where his theater was also. Okay, there there is. I don't know if that's maybe where the museum is. It's inside the theater, but there is. When you get to the museum, when you stand in front of the building, on the top, there's an actual video that has it on YouTube. Um, I should put the link to, to this at the end of the show, too. But it shows that there's a total, like, it looks like, I don't know, it looks like some type of giant octopus is coming oh, out the okay. windows. And the, and the windows open up and they actually start coming out and moving. Uh, it's really phenomenal. I was like, what the <laughs> heck is that, you know, but... But you could see it. It's actual on YouTube. And, and you know, like I said, I'm going to put the link um, for it because, you know, it's 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 something that I, I personally think it, it would be Absolutely. worth to, for the people to see it. But it, it's really and, and, and in fact, I'm, I'm trying to actually see right now if I could, um, you know, copy that link and, and, and which I'm actually doing right now. And. Uh, Okay, yeah, actually, and and sending it to you guys because you, you yeah, guys that would be, be that would be cool. You know, you know, one strange fact about Robert Houdin, I think, as far as I as far as I read, I, I'm not positive on this, but I believe he only performed for eight years professionally. I think he he opened his theater, he performed to packed houses. I believe only for eight years, and then he went into retirement, and um, and he had a nice little estate there, and he was working on uh, different types of inventions for the rest of his life. And um, but as far as I remember, you'd have to talk to Dave about this. But I think I read he only performed for eight years, believe it or not. And it was he was he was uh, pretty well up there when he started performing. I mean, he was not a young man when he started performing professionally. Uh, now, yeah, but my question to you is this, though. If, if when you're saying when he started performing professionally, is there a possibility was he more like a magician or he had props that worked like clockwork, you know? Yeah, I, really I think it was a combination of both. You know, I think he performed a lot of magic effects also, you know, one of which was a, was a, a, a copia. Uh, he was well known for, he would show it empty and then he would produce a bunch of flowers from it and so forth. Yeah. So he did, uh, he did the uh, suspensions uh, like he made one of his sons float uh, at that time. I two sons. One one was probably maybe twelve or thirteen years old at the time when he was performing professionally. So he'd 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 uh, he'd uh, make him levitate and so forth. Yeah. So I mean, he was quite the magician. Also, it's just that he would he would he would pepper some of his, uh, you know, some of his uh, creations into the magic show itself. So yeah, he did he did some fantastic magic. Also, he was very inventive with with his magic, and uh, you know, he actually created a lot of, uh, uh, you know, like certain magic effects as well. What what made him? Um, what do they call him? The father of modern day magic? Yeah, yeah. Because like you know what, like uh, you know, like I said in one of the past podcasts, uh, podcast, you know what he he took magic in from the streets. Okay, you know, like back in those days, there's a lot of there was a lot of uh, you know like street performers and so forth. Uh, you know, you know, like dressed up as jesters. He was the first person to actually take magic into a classic theater. I mean, it was very very beautiful. 
uh, I think uh, Joe was talking about like he was he was trying to imagine, you know, like going back in time to like a theater with the jet streams, you know, with the gas lights and so forth. Oh, yeah. uh, that's exactly what he used was was the gas lighting. You know what? It was a very, very uh, classy type of an atmosphere. And he was the first to actually wear like a tuxedo, you know. So, yeah, that's why he's called the father of, of uh, modern magic. And when Dave was on there a few times ago for uh, for one of the podcasts, we had talked about how uh, how how. Uh, uh, the great Houdini came up with a book in 1908, The Unmasking of Robert Houdin, and he turned against them. And he basically claimed that Houdin did not build these things; that he had he had a friend of him uh, build these effects, which 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 that's very very doubtful because like people that knew uh, Robert Houdin were very uh, they were they were uh, you know pretty much aware of his his genius. Well, I could see the, uh, yeah, the, it's called La Dragon, Les Dragons, Masion de la oh, Valle, okay. which I think is, that's apparently, I think it was his theater and it was converted. I was just looking real quick over here as I was, uh, and it shows dra a dragon li literally comes out of the window. Now, it definitely has to be some type of mechanical because it actually looks like a big giant oh, sure. hand yeah. or somebody coming out, but it has Robert Houdin's statue right in front of the mm -hmm. entrance. There's a couple of videos on it. I sent yeah, you guys I'll have to check those. Link, uh, yeah, I'll have to check those away. out. Oh. But, but, but there is no... The, then I also noticed that there is another one, which I, I don't know if this is his, but it's a woman playing a piano. And it's it has something Robert Houdin on it. I think it's like, a, you know, it's not that big, but it's it works with, again, clockwork. It has like a music box mm -hmm. underneath her dress. And she plays the piano. They're all these automatons where automatons that mm -hmm. work on. Uh, well, this one says here the girl says it was created in 1772. Wow. So I think there was a lot of technology back then uh, to make things move and work. And they worked in the principle of those little music right. boxes, you know. And I didn't realize how much of that was done back in the 1700s. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm right now kind of like thrown back by all this stuff and and now again this makes my because uh, it's all like wound up and i think it just makes my uh, my curiosity oh, exactly within my brain just keep flowing over now because now <laughs> good i'm glad to hear it <laughs> in, in, in all this automatons this i tell you crazy. what eddie i was always interested you know i was always very interested in uh you know watch work uh electronics uh you know uh you know, you know, the, uh, the automatons as well, you know, and I've, and I've read most of the books, uh, that do detail a lot of these things. And you know what, I'm not formally trained with electronics or anything. I was the kind of kid that was a tinkerer. I mean, I would take things apart. I mean, and I would, I'd, I'd study how they worked and so forth. And when my wife and I got married almost 29 years ago, I would take apart RC cars and, and they work on two channels, channel 27 and channel 49, which are, which are common frequencies. So they do get the interference quite a bit. Uh, but then I migrated years ago to like the, uh, to the key fob type of things, you know, which are, they're, they're basically encoded where there's no interference and so forth. But I mean, but the things I do, I just basically trial and error. It's just a lot of, it's just, it's just a lot of persistence, a lot of hard work and so forth. Uh, but I've incorporated a lot of these things throughout the years with, you know, uh, 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 with my magic shows, obviously. So it worked out very well. And I've, I've sold a lot of my effects to different magicians and so forth. I'm very thankful that it did, it did take off. And it's a lot of fun for me to build these things because it's, uh, it's actually a therapist, you know, like a kind of like therapeutic, I guess. 
you know, it, like I said, I've always been interested in things of that nature. Even uh, robotics is a fascinating, fascinating field. Well, well, the thing that really kind of I find interesting, the fact is also I was just noticing a lot of the facts. Most of this stuff in the 1700s were done in, in France. I guess the French had a leading It seems that way. It seems so. Marathons. Yeah, it seems. Yeah, because I noticed a lot of them are from the, the same era. Now, I got to be honest, man. All this stuff is just not only fascinating, but it, it gets me back to the fact what the same thing you did. What I used to do was take apart those robots that they <laughs> sold in those Chinese uh, stands sure. around New York. When you went downtown New York City in the 70s, they always had those battery operated robots. Um, and I used to, <laughs> I took apart one or two of them in tr trying to build my own, but it's just fascinating. Oh, it is. Those things work. But the thing is that there's more fascinating though, is that the, this is where I'm like, how the heck, when you do clockwork stuff, when you do things that are, um, you're talking about stuff that, that, you know, from the 1700s, what blows my mind is how did they manage to do the precision of those things. It's, ama it's amazing. Wheels, it really is. You know? I mean, that's crazy. Okay, so you're going to make the hand move slightly. Uh, you got to have like a lot of know-how in that, man. It's, it really it's is. Really it's crazy. fascinating. And there's a lot of different things of that nature out there, Eddie. There was a, a writing automaton years ago, but I believe that was in a, maybe like in a museum, I think in Philadelphia, and it burned down years. It, it actually burned up in the museum. There's a big fire. But that was really I, cool. I am aware of that. I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I, I see any time I read books on, and I have no kidding, probably every book ever written on robots in wow. the 1970s. I have about maybe 47 different books. Um, I have the one from, the, I think his last name is like mm -hmm. Hersherman right. or something like that. That was one is how to create, how to build your own radio control robot, how to build your own robot pet. Uh, a couple of them, and I purchased them. In, in fact, I remember when I first went to purchase the first one, I couldn't find it anywhere. Mm -hmm. It was out of print. And there was this little bookstore next to my house that you would go in, and the owner just went on and on until she finally <laughs> got it for me. Um, but I, like I said, I, you know, I went on. Now, of course, on eBay, you can you find can. a million other books. But, you know, before eBay, we talked. But now, Chuck, here's another thing that really kind of surprised me about you, too. I'm looking for the information on that Yankee magic magazine. And when I put Chuck magician magic, I found not only Murphy magic, but there's another something magic company. There's quite a few tricks out there that yeah. have your name on it that you, I guess, made. Uh, one of them is like some type of a box. It looks like a wooden box. Um, I know they're selling it for $300. Um, and it says the Chuck Caputo. Um, gosh, what was it called? I don't remember the name or something box. Uh, I guess you designed Yeah, I think what you're talking about would be the uh, snake in the in the box, like a snake basket, or I think. The... No, 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 not the snake basket. This is other one. Okay. It's got your name. Okay, on. yeah, because you know what? I, I did give the rights. I sold the rights to Jimmy King from Mac Magic about eight, maybe nine years ago for for a, like an electronic snake basket, but they altered it to make it like an elephant in the in a trunk also where the where the trunk is inside and it goes up and down and it finds the selected playing card. Uh, so basically I had supplied them with a working prototype, you know, and so we worked out a deal. Yeah, so so they carried that. And then throughout the years, you know, I've built different things and I 
I, I wholesale them to, you know, you know, to different magic companies, uh, Hocus Pocus in California. Uh, I, I can't think of, there was, there were several other ones that carried a lot of my things also. Yeah, and I see you also had comp- uh, books. You put out a couple of yeah. You know what? Books. Way back this one. Here, yeah, it's been about magic? nineteen twenty years. You know what? I I basically sold uh, uh, electronic magic for the average Joe is is what I called it, and it was volume. So after I wrote the first one, I figured, well, I have a lot more ideas. So I wrote volume two, three, and I think it went to four. And I even came up with a spooky. Uh, a version where like it tells how to build a spooky type of electronic magic. And that came out in the early two thousands, maybe 2003, 2004, you know, and they, and they sold very well. I mean, throughout the whole world and everything. And so basically I just explained and I, and I draw the, I, I drew the pictures, just what I was telling you about taking apart or dissecting the RC cars. And uh, so, yeah, that worked out. That worked out very well. Each, each booklet was about 35 pages. And I can draw pretty good. I went to art school when I was a kid, so I I basically did all the illustrations. Well, there is the the magic trick I'm talking about is called Horizon. Oh, Horizon. okay. Yep. H-O- yep. Okay. By, by Chuck Caputo, and it's sold by Martin Magic. Oh, I, for, I forgot all the about that. Okay. Two hundred and ninety-five dollars for that. And then there's another one here called um, Electronic Close-Up Case by Chuck. Okay, Caputo. I forgot about that. And it has like a clock, and you also apparently did some stop time ghost uh, right, clock right. as well. <laughs> it's got your name on the thing here. It's all over <laughs> the internet. I'm very yeah, surprised. I forgot all about that. Yeah, the 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 uh, Horizon was a was a, a a block trick. It was a it was a beautiful wooden box you open up, and there's four different square blocks like uh, rectangular blocks. They're numbered one to four. And so you could be out of the room or whatever, and a spectator can take out, you know, whichever block or blocks they want, and they could close the lid. When you come in, you know, without touching the box, you can still discern what numbered blocks were taken from the from the box itself. But yeah, yeah, that was at least fifteen, you know, like at least fifteen years ago. That's why I forgot all about it. <laughs> yeah, I was also looking at your. I saw a page of Facebook where uh, you had no beard or anything. You got that long <laughs> hair. Uh, it reminded me of oh, Chico man. and the Man, kind of from the 1970s. Yeah, I tell you. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it it's crazy. You gotta so look at this. Not only is Chuck Caputo a man of mystery, but he's so mysterious, he doesn't even know his own self. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about all. I forgot all about you know, that stuff. Yeah, I do remember the hair though. I had long. I had long. You know what? I'm Italian, and I had very long, uh, wiry hair. You know, <laughs> and. Uh, I think I think I got hair that's waving now. It's uh, waving goodbye a little bit. You know, I'm 57 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a video of you uh, demonstrating Mac Magic, and I mean, you're you're all over the internet. I, no wonder. You know, I was kind of blown by the fact. See, I put last night another video. I don't I don't know what the um, the amount of uh, hits on it, but the one that you did is already over 4,500. Wow. Uh, with the demonstration, I think okay. the unboxing you did, and and then we had one which is the um, I did I, I think it's a tour of the I call it the House of the Unusual Cave or, okay. or Man Cave, and <laughs> and it, it you know whatever so it was getting quite a few hits but I put um, hashtag of course after Joe here uh, threw the the wrench at me. 
and say, hey, Eddie, you know, I think you're uh, you're doing it all wrong. When you put a hashtag, I didn't realize you got to keep all the words to together. And I was putting them separate. So I was really, when I put Chuck, it was actually pointing out oh. what they call Chuck. Uh, you know, not to, to like our site and stuff. Well, look at this. The As of last night, 19 hours ago, the main video called Hidden Treasures, House of the Unusual Takes You on a Tour into the Unknown, hashtag Chuck Caputo Magic. It's at 397 wow. views in 19 hours. So I think I think we found the uh, and I actually use for the thumbnail. I use one of the original Robert Houdin posters, the one that it says he's in the um, Devil's Castle or something castle. You know which one I'm talking about? It has like yeah, I believe so. Uh -huh. it, it's a really nice, nice poster. In fact, I, I got to definitely put that in our collection so we can yeah. sell that. It's a That's really a really nice poster. poster. It's phenomenal. And now, according to the unboxing Chuck Caputo video, is right now at uh, 4,230 wow. views. It's really very interesting. Joe, you've been quiet, Joe. What's up, brother? Come on in, Joe. No, I'm just I'm listening to all the uh, – I'm listening to the discussion here. I'm like, you know, on the uh, – you, you know, one of the audience members kind of just all – kind of sucking up all the information and everything about the uh especially about the automatrons because i didn't know too much about the turk and eddie was telling me about it the other day and um it, it kind of caused me to really look into some you know kind of like where did magic start in some ancient magic and i found out that it, it kind of came you know in around you know i guess a lot of researchers and all that have found that you know it might have started in egypt maybe around oh, 2700 yep. bc and you know with what was it maybe like uh what was it like a ball trick or something like that chuck are you familiar with yeah cups and balls might have go started back around that time you know like where the magician would hide a ball under a cup and it would travel from one cup to the other or would jump from it would jump from underneath the cup okay. to his pocket yeah but you, you know what you're exactly right i like the way you guys do your uh, research eddie's a very good detective he brought up Stuff that I completely forgot about. Wow, that was uh... a <laughs> well. Yeah, I, I tell you what, it was. It was really kind of. It was really interesting to because, you know, I, I I've always been interested in you know kind of like you know medieval times and you had the the court gestures jesters and all that who who did their, um, you know who did their their comedy act and all that. But I'm wondering, you know, how much magic was. You know, because they they always wanted the comedy to make them laugh. But did did anybody like during the the medieval times or dark ages? You know, these rulers did they want you know magic tricks or anything well, like I'll that? Tell you, I'll of... tell you what. Let's back up a little bit before the dark ages. Uh, you know what? Like during the Greek and Roman Empire. Okay, uh, particularly the Roman Empire. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of these buildings that were that were built. You know, these fantastic buildings. And uh, uh, you know what? Basically, they mm -hmm. were they were designed to actually scare scare the people that come in. Uh, you, you know, like this, it was it was designed in such a clever way that once the sunlight comes in at a certain time of the day, it would it would give the appearance that that a statue would be floating and uh, things of that nature. So it would actually scare the people who came, who, uh, came in, and so wow. they would actually give money. Okay, like they would they would you know you know pay the. Uh, god or gods so they wouldn't get harmed and so forth yeah so if you do 
if you if you do some research on that, yeah, it was actually used by very very clever uh, Roman uh, you know uh, designers of of these buildings where where it, you know once the sun came in, it would illuminate certain parts of the room. It would make objects look like they're floating. Uh, people would roll stone balls up on the inside the ceiling to make it sound like thunder. I mean, it would like literally scare the heck out of these people, you know. So yeah, so you know what? So uh, magic was used actually to actually instill fear and actually collect money from people too. <laughs> well, now now it seems like a lot of the lot of even in the the uh, you know BC times that there was a lot of you know I guess the, the European area at the time you know. You had uh, Egypt, you had That's Rome right. and Greek. They all had you know, some right. form of, of magic going on. So, you know, what is it generally, I guess, accepted that magic originated in I, I would Egypt? say so, yeah. You know what? Yeah, I would I would assume so because we're talking, you know, 5,000 B.C. there if you if you if you uh, if you trace the lineage uh, yeah, I would I would say so, you know, uh, but mm-hmm. then again, there was Chinese magicians as well. I mean, so all across the world, they all had some form of magic that they did, you know, and uh, you know what? It's a it's a fascinating history. If you do look into it, which which I see you are, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, but like I said, even going up right. to the Greek and Roman days, I mean, it, you know, it was amazing. Uh, but then but then up into the, uh, you know, up into the dark ages, I think everything everything fell apart there. But uh Right, and I, I like to study a lot of like you know pagan and, and witchcraft uh, histories and all that. And I seen that magic was incorporated with a, a lot of that too, and a lot of like the uh, the occult studies and the um, the different orders that that people would join. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, it, it's kind of thinking, you know, is that where a lot of our myths and legends might have come from? Like you said, you know, the um, you would walk into a building, and it would look like you know, a yep. God was, was floating or something and, you know, people would pay their homage. So was that, you know, I wonder if, you know, some of that was incorporated into the myths because, you know, still at that time, a lot of stuff was still word of mouth. So if it was passed down and that's where some of the pagan and witchcraft, you know, and, and other esoteric Absolutely. practices came from was, mm-hmm. you know, these actual, these magic, you know, or these illusionary, me, you know, uh, let me say type something real quick there. It's, when you know you were talking about building of, of buildings and stuff, Coral Castle in Florida is one of those where I guess when people put things like that and they hide it from the rest of the public how it's done, the mystery grows bigger oh, than my life. Goodness. Uh, when you got a 100 pound yeah. guy, I forgot, Chuck, you know the story there, and he built this um, castle. That it's just, it's right, right absolutely up. phenomenal. I mean, you know what? If anybody, if any of the listeners have a chance to go to Coral Castle, it's, it's in, uh, it's in Homestead, Florida. You know what? Uh, my wife and I last year around this time, my uh, my my birthday is January twenty fifth. So last January twenty fifth, on my birthday, we were in Coral Castle, and I've been fascinated. You know what? I've been fascinated by this place, Joe, for forty years since nineteen eighty. I used to watch a TV show called In Search of. It was hosted by. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, who was Spock from oh, yeah. Star Trek, and one of the stories he had was about yep. Coral Castle. So there's, so there's a guy. He was about 98 pounds. His name was Edward Leedscannon, and he was a Latvian uh, person who came from Latvia. And uh, he bought this slab of land that everybody made fun of. It was just bedrock, and he cut and hoisted up 
these big gigantic you know stones that range from nine tons to 30 tons he built a castle he carved a rocking a bunch of rocking chairs uh the front door is perfectly balanced where a little child can move it with open the door with her hand it's just it's just unbelievable nobody knows even modern engineers have no idea how this little man built it uh i mean i mean there is speculation of course like up, up in his workshop he has hoists he has he has come alongs and things of that nature but i don't care how i don't care what type of hoist you have or whatever you know one man that weighs under 100 pounds is not going to generate enough force to hoist hoist up a 30 ton piece right, of coral yeah. it's just not going to happen i also heard i also heard story you know theories exactly. that he used you know sound you know, and harmonics to yeah but that's know, what happens it it's a mystery so, so we don't know they attach a lot of which maybe you'll go that's how he did it but you know what though Things like that happen in, in what you're saying. That's what you reminded me of when you said back in the early centuries, you would get people building castles. And in fact, you know, this is kind of funny. I was watching prior to starting tonight a show in the, in the uh, Smithsonian Channel, uh, which is um, an American aristocrat showing, you know, castles in England and stuff. Some lady who married into one of the, of the Duchess over there, whatever, and uh, not Duchess, but one of the, you know, I mean, the, the sure. aristocrat people sure. down there. And she inherited this castle, but she went to visit another castle that apparently the guy who owns the castle with his wife and a couple of children live in the castle. The castle has caught fire three times in the last uh, 800 years. And in 1975 was the last fire. And they were saying how they had to move to the basement. Where they, But the funny thing is he's got 50,000 wow. acres. And the bizarre thing with this and all the castle is that they have a castle that only a portion of the castle is open to tourists because the other portion is still like in disarray and under, you know, they're still trying to repair it. And the funny thing about it is they don't have no money to maintain the castle. And, you know, it's like uh, they have a, I think they say it's the largest archival uh, book section mm -hmm. of England that goes back to the 13th century. And, um, they have books there. They said that sometimes a page alone will cost over $200 to preserve wow. just one page. So they have books there that can cost anywhere from three to $4,000 a book. And they put them on a list, to-do list, as to when they're going to be able to preserve them. And I was saying to myself, well, first of all, to, to live in an actual castle that, you know, everything from possible ghosts to whatever comes <laughs> with it, it's, you know, I got to hand it to them. That's the first thing. The second thing, it's true. They have all the original treasures there. And they were saying how in 1975, they lost a lot of the original treasures. But what I found it fascinating is when you see the people that actually live there and own it, they become more real when they're trying to finance things by raising funds. Uh, you know right. what I'm saying? Sure. Just the repair of 1975 cost, I think, over, what was it, $8 million or something dollars or... And they were saying how they had to, like the guy said, he went to the roof, he would grab a piece of stone and carve in the, the signature because he he holds like 30 different titles, the Duke of this, the Dutch, whatever, the Duke of whatever, you know, all these different titles. And he said that he would start selling parts of the castle <laughs> and they were able to raise enough to actually, you know, and then they, they reached out to the rest of England who a lot of people, because of the fact that it's a symbol to their country, um, they raised the funds to fix it. But the thing is, it's still in, in repair. It's still being repaired sections. 
And it just made the people more real, you know, more down to earth. Like, you know what? They're real people. Now this multi-millionaires who don't even have a dime. Right. To, you know what I mean? It just it made them more real. But I, I thought it was fascinating. A nice little show there. And I just mentioned it because we were talking about, you know, how you said back in the day they did such things. Uh, go ahead, Joe. Bring out your other part. <laughs> there's just i mean it's always finding something to, to to research and and think about i mean it's it's all always something and and you know were you speechless you know, for a second there <laughs> you know i'm trying to think there was something i, I was thinking that i wanted to ask uh chuck last night and i i no, it's totally like left my head. And you know, I, I, once the podcast's over, I'll think no, about it. it. And it's something to do with. with I, ancient, I think you were um, talking about that. We were going to talk about the influences of what happened those magic during the old days. How would it have influenced us modern day people, magicians and stuff throughout the ages? Wasn't that the question? Yeah, but there was there was there was, there was something. Um, it was the um, oh, what do you call it? Mm-hmm. I guess the Hindu oh, rope that's trick. Right. You know what I, I I've always been been fascinated by that, and when I was you know kind of researching into the ancient um, magic and all of that, and I I ran across again the, the the Hindu rope trick, and I seen some some videos on YouTube of people trying to mm-hmm. you know people explaining you know how it's how it's done and all that. But um, can you give us a little bit more background on on the the, the Hindu rope trick? Because I guess it's it's Absolutely. one of the more popular Absolutely. ones that goes. You know back, what the Hindu rope, know, rope trick is a is a is a is a staple of magic, and there's been different performers who have performed this. Um, you know, basically what it is 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 a basket that you open up, and there's a large rope in there, and you throw it up in the air, and it sticks, it stands, so it stays straight. And you get a little boy assistant that helps you now, you know, so this originated in India, obviously. So, so, so the little boy is dressed in the Indian attire, you know, with baggy pants and a vest and so forth, almost like a genie. And he, he, he basically gets on the rope and he climbs all the way up and then a big puff of smoke appears and he just disappears and the rope van, uh, uh, the rope drops back down into the basket. And uh, yeah, so, so there's been different versions of it, but they're really old. I mean, the, uh, uh, the things I've read about it, nobody really knows exactly what the methods were that some of these magicians used. So, yeah, that's a very mysterious trick. I mean, and it goes back many, many uh, years. I, yeah, I, have, I, I, I've read I some. have a little, no, I have a little oh, go ahead, Eddie. Indian rope trick, and I'll, I'll tell you really quick what it is and what it was, if you don't mind, unless you want to. I got two seconds. You, go ahead. You talk first, Joe. Well, no, I, go think, ahead. I think I'm going to add to what I, Chuck I, had to say. There's a book by Peter Lamont. It's called The Indian Rope Trick, The Rise of the Indian mm-hmm. Rope Trick. And it's entitled How a Spectacular Hoax Became mm-hmm. History. And now what it is, is that the Indian Rope Trick, even though magicians have tried to reproduce mm-hmm. it for ages and they've had right. their own versions, the actual uh, completed trick is when the Indi- when the kid goes up into the air, he disappears. And then supposedly the magician climbs the rope after him and then the pieces of the kid fall down to the floor. So in other words, he cuts him in pieces, the head, the arms. And then when it's all in pieces, the magician comes back down the rope. He covers the kid up and then lo and behold, the Mm -hmm. kid is all in one piece. 
Okay. Apparently, the way I was reading that book with from Peter Lamont, which was put out, I think, uh, back in, I don't know the exact time of publication. I'm actually holding the book. I have two copies of this book. Um, as I was reading it, it started when it back in the early centuries, when uh, some guy was uh, kind of like uh, P.T. Barnum. He was able to convince a bunch of people that were inside the, now this book was published in mm-hmm. 2004. Uh, he was able to convince a bunch of people that they had just experienced the Indian rope trick. And it was basically a hoax, but it, it throughout the ages, it became a legend. And this book really explains the origination mm-hmm. of the trick, how it was done, what cost the, all the magicians in the world to keep searching to try to do it. But it is like Chuck said, a, a, it's probably the most uh, sought after, most mysterious trick in magic. Yeah, in definitely. Yeah, because I've seen a lot of, um, you know, uh, old, uh, you know, paintings and all that of it. And it's usually somebody outside with, you know, the kid climbing up into a, a cloud or something. It always kind of amazed me. And it didn't seem like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, illusion and unexpected and unexplained stuff in, in magic. But, you know, if you're standing in a group of people and, you know, this kid's only going up, you know, 20 feet or something and disappearing in a cloud and the rope comes down, you know, there, there has to be something more to that. And in my mind is that there had to be something less to it because it, it didn't seem probable even – you know, through illusion or anything that, that this could be done with a group of, of people. I'm going to try to see if I can get a copy of the book to you guys, because I do have, like I said, two copies. And I'm going to tell you guys one thing about this. Um, I mean, this book is phenomenal. It, it really explained a lot. I started reading, having finished it. That's why I can't really put out much information. But I guess it teaches how a modern day, uh, not a charlatan, but uh a modern-day P.T. Barnum can convince the general population of, of a lot. In fact, if you guys haven't seen Penn and Teller travel to India in one of their episodes, it's like a two-hour episode, where they travel to India, stayed there for like three, four weeks in search right, of the right. Indian rope trick. Okay, and that was, a, I mean, I saw that. That was really, but at the end of the day, uh, actually the conclusion I think was, if I'm correct, I could be wrong in this, the conclusion was that it was a hoax and, and apparently that somehow it rolled the You're exactly right. time and became, you know, reality. Um, and, you know, having said that, not to change the conversation, but Chuck, I wanted to ask you concerning another magic trick that's uh, named to you. It's a piece of wood and it has one, two, three on it. And it has like three little cups and three round wooden balls on top. One dark uh, wood, the other light wood and the other one totally blue. You remember <laughs> that one? Well, I'm trying to think, Eddie. I, I, I actually don't. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, huh? It's a, it's, it's according. It's from. Uh, oh gosh, what is uh, the same merch magic, whatever it is, and it's got your name on it, the Chakaputo, uh, whatever. Now I lost the the title to it, but uh, it's by a Martin Magic Collection. Okay, is 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 it is it and, three uh, is it three balls, three round ducks? Oh, okay. Yeah, yes, that's yeah, yes, that's a version yes. of mento mento match is what I called it. Uh, the, uh, the 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 original version is called Colorama, 
And uh, basically, it's yeah, it's three different colored balls that are that are placed on on a little stand, and they're and uh, each of the balls are uh, placed in front of a number. There's a, there's you know, there's a number one, two, and three, and you turn your you basically tell the spectator to move the balls around wherever they want, and and without you even looking, you can tell you know what what the positioning of the balls are. It's a very clever principle. It's it's not electronic, but it uh, but it does take some thought. I mean, you have to have a clear mind to do this. And, and the thing that's funny about this effect is I explained it like at different lectures, how to do this to like uh, different magicians and they still didn't understand it. Uh, it's actually, yeah, it's actually kind of difficult to learn. And I'd <laughs> say that even if you explain it to somebody, probably about 90% of the people will not comprehend it. It's a very unusual uh, effect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I tell you what, I tell you what, Chuck, I, I've watched sometimes I'll, I'll you know, dig down the rabbit hole of, of YouTube and watch some of these uh, these uh, shows on how, you know, ma it's like Magic Explained and all that. We, yeah. you know, they'll go through, you know, some of the, they'll show you the trick and then they'll explain. And I tell you what, it is, I, I like, sometimes I got to smack my forehead. It's like, sometimes it's so easy. Like when yeah. they explain it, it's, you know, the concept Absolutely. is so easy on, on how it's, it's done. And then, and it just goes to show how easily you know we're tricked. But then you know they get into some of these uh, tricks or you know illusions or tricks, you know whatever you want to call them. Uh, and some of them are just so exactly. complicated and deal with you know math and different other stuff. And I'm like, oh, exactly. I'm like, how do people even think? I of think this? you have a good point there, <laughs> you know, uh, they, Joe, because I think the future of magic is high technology. I think it's high tech. I think we're getting into things of that nature i think that i think within the next five years or so we're going to see some really high-tech uh -huh. magic of course you don't uh display it. I, I mean you, you don't display it as high-tech magic but, but i think when holograms come into play i think that's going to be the next move because these things are uh, these things are getting developed right it as is. we speak it is. yeah it is you know something guys let me tell you something it's sometimes what joe said made me laugh right now and i'll tell you why a year ago, I'm, I'm looking at YouTube and some young guy, magician, uh, he takes a plank of wood, like a two by four. I mean, he just did a frame. It's about six feet tall and two feet wide. And he stands in front of this wood and then he picks up. So he's standing behind the, the plank of wood. He picks up a, a, a curtain, brings it up, and then he puts the curtain down. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, he went through the solid piece of wood. It drove me nuts. I must have played it like 40 times. And I'm like, how the hell did he do this, man? And then all of a sudden, I called Dave. And I'm like, you know what, Dave, man? You got to help me out here, bro. Because it, it just drives me crazy when I couldn't know. That's why I right, think I was right. using the four fingers. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's kind of like that. And what Joe just said, that sometimes there was another. There's a trick. It's a, it's a card trick that it's on the computer. Mm -hmm. And you pick a card. And no matter what, the computer <laughs> always knows which card you pick. And that drove me nuts. I'm like, okay, I got this. How am I gonna how does this work? And again, Dave solved Absolutely. Me, you know, solved the problem for me. But some of those things, especially now yeah, with technology, definitely. drives you nuts. Yeah. And and Joe B Yeah, yeah, I, I think too it's 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 you know, the future's technology, but I think that just like it's just kind of like everything, you know, we've touched on it before everything comes around in circles and i think you know i don't ever think that um 
you know, traditional magic, right. I guess, yep. for lack of a better term, will, will ever go away. But, but, but you're going to start seeing, yeah, like, you know, like you said, a lot more technology involved. Yeah, in it. And I don't know <laughs> if that'll be for the better or for the worse, I guess. <laughs> well, that'll be for, you know, future generations to tell us. But, you know, in my my opinion, I, I right. you Slight, know, some you know, old, I, know, so I, I prefer all the, the old, you know. Yeah, slide the hand stuff, you know, the, the horror stuff. And, and I, it, it's just cool. And, and and I do like to, just like anybody else, you know, I'd like to be tricked, but I also like to learn about it. And it's not just for, you know, to kind of say, oh, now I know how it's done. But I I, I kind of like to know, you know, why it was done this way. And, and are you right. are you tricking my, my brain? Are you tricking my senses? Or is there some type of, you know, math to it? that I don't know about. So it's kind of like the learning process too. And, you know, some of exactly. them I, I, sure. I just don't want to learn because I just want to, you know, stay amazed. To it. But I, you know, I'm like Eddie, you know, I, I've watched <laughs> something a hundred times. I'm like, I got to find out, you know, <laughs> how that, oh, that was, but Hey was guys, great, we, we've great had a great podcast. conversation oh, and some great points and we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're at the end here. So I want to thank everybody out there for, for joining us on house of the unusual podcast. Uh, definitely head over to our YouTube channel. We've got some amazing videos by uh, Chuck Caputo on there. And you could also head back in time and check out some of our video casts as well. And while you're doing that, check out houseoftheunusual.com. We've got a free email list there, a free forum. You know, sign up and you could stay up to date with, you know, what we're doing. Uh, you could give us some show ideas, meet some like-minded people, and we are just a growing community of of just individuals who who love this stuff, who love magic, horror, sci-fi, uh, mail-order novelties. And if you want to be a guest on the show, you know, send us an email or um, let us know on one of the uh, the forums on on the webpage and tell us what you'd like to talk about and why you'd like to be on. We're always looking for for you know different types of discussions so with that said oh, chuck thank you thanks thank for you stopping so much by for again. Me. I always a great it. conversation having you eddie thank you for absolutely eddie thank you for stopping by always full of information for everybody out there and again want to thank everybody for listening to us find us on your favorite uh platform give us a a, a good review and support us any way possible so that we could keep doing this and bringing you quality okay, thank you. Uh, discussions every Bye-bye. week. So thanks, Take guys. Take care, guys. Talk to you soon.